Game begin. Tested in weeks. Yeah, it's been um, it's been a four minute. weeks since Michael J and Lana Huang, the inaugural. Like, this this shit should be on the podcast so that I can rant back at you. Yeah, that's it is. I oh, hit yes. the record button already. Okay. Yeah, so you can say that again. It's been four weeks. Forever. <laughs> it's been four weeks since the inaugural lead co-hosts of the Spike Colony podcast. Uh, my friend. He's got that James Dean daydream look in his eyes, Michael J. Flores. I do. Um, and your regular co-host, Lanny Wong. Uh, I told you. I said, hey, let's record a bunch of episodes. I'm going to go for a few weeks. I warned you. I'm, I'm only like, available. Oh, no, it'll be fine. We can't. We can't. You work around my schedule is how it works. I can't. I can't work around your schedule. Like you work around. Like <laughs> I, as the CEO of the Spike Colony podcast, like I decide when we work. Well, and apparently that doesn't involve me for a few weeks. But now I'm back. Yeah, I mean, dear listeners, I wanted to play goblins. I really wanted to play goblins. I said I don't think I can play Oath Palouche very well. The response that I got was, I don't want to do another episode on goblins. So then the result was me complaining about Oath Palouche all morning, yada, 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 optimal finish. But like, this is like you know. a, this is like a lesson in, this isn't like, Michael J somehow forgot the cardinal rule of Magic the Gathering tournaments is that you always bring some almonds. Like, if Cobra yeah, Go I mean, Blue isn't getting you the almonds, you have to bring your own almonds. I was so hangry. But whatever, yada, 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 optimal finish, plot armor, yeah. everything you ever say. Uh, I mean, beginning of the day, all I did was complain to the team. Back half of the day, no one could beat me. So Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> it was a 3-2-1 finish for top four in a 16-person tournament. Um, yep, big week in pre-modern. Uh, since last week, the or the last two weeks, it's been we took a week off. Um, the Spanish Nationals has concluded, and the winner is none other than Red Deck Wins taking down the trophy. Um, so uh, congrats to them. Um, I should probably have their name pulled up so that I can congratulate them thoroughly. Is there a lit? Li I haven't even looked at these lists. Um, I can pull the list up for you, but... Um, just, just text me the list, and I'll pretend that I perused them ahead of time. Yeah, you know yeah. this was like 50% of all the episodes of Top Level Podcast that like Patrick would just like ship me lists in the middle of the podcast, and I'd be like, yeah, I understand how this deck works. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could... You would have never guessed, though. No, I, I guessed all the time. You guessed. I li I, as a listener, <laughs> of top level podcast <laughs> i was like hearing you react live to these deck lists and i'm like yeah this this guy has no clue what's going on in the format does he <laughs> he's just he's just well, he's just raw dogging this it, it ended up being a pretty good podcast uh yeah i mean you know we all had a good time here we go javier campo um uh so congrats to javier um this is just freaking stock there are Are you gonna send uh, this to me there are two there are two curse scrolls or there's two volcanic hammers an extra curse scroll and extra vortex in here so this is just like bobbleless 20 land burn but you the rest is a, you are just a four sulfuric vortex man aren't you i love sulfuric vortex i just like i just like get down with uh my opponent not gaining life and taking two damage a turn like the expectation on vortex is like six damage right 
Uh, I don't know, man. Isn't that a ball lightning? I mean, maybe it's like four and a half damage because they'll be dead, or like it'll be like three damage. Depends. If they're the rock, it's twenty damage. Yeah. If they're land still, it's negative twenty damage. I mean, I explained this with I explained this with Aaron, but I was like, you play the vortex, and then you kill all your opponent's creatures, and then the the vortex kills your opponent, and you're you're like you're in great shape. It's 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 weird, you know. With red deck, with red deck winning, why don't I just play red deck in modern this week? Why don't I just do that? Yeah. Why don't I sign up for a modern RCQ and play it? We'll, de- we'll detour through modern right now. I've Javier Campo. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll detour through modern. So I played, um, I played uh, ten matches of Andrea Minguchi's Miracle Grow in modern deck using the new card Questing Druid, which is uh, or Questing Druid. This Dryad. card. Oh my is god. It this card. Do you have four? Can I borrow? Can I borrow? I just need that and some like blue cards, and then I own the deck. Anyways, I own the whole deck actually, except for the other ones of that and Ragavan. But I mean, that's easy oh, I've I've got Ragavan, so we, we well, you just once for that. once more I have I have the missing piece, which is <laughs> the artifact that taps for mana, Ragavan, <laughs> Nimble Pimp Pilfer. <laughs> so you play the burn deck, and I'll play um, I'll play Ragavan um, Miracle Grow, which is like another Copium deck in modern. Like Andre, are you okay. going to come to the RCQ on Saturday in Hoboken? Rock and roll. Uh, Hoboken. How are you? You you need a ride then again. Oh, I guess you can take the path it's to Hoboken. One stop on the path. Okay. Interesting. One's well, it's f- one stop. Isn't isn't Sip and Play having a um an RCQ well, in Brooklyn? I signed up for the one in Hoboken because that's the one that came up on Spice Rack. All right. So uh, modern is um, rancid, but there is a blue red deck that casts a lot of spells and um, uh, has questing questing dryad or druid whatever it is it's uh, it's an adventure uh, if you don't know what an adventure is i'm not going to explain it to you it's too complicated how much of a genius am i going to so, look like for never taking this fr- so front side front side is oh one in an r um, and uh, it's a impulse for two like a impulse draw for two, reckless impulse, instant, and then backside is Korean Dryad. So I was playing. It's like exactly Korean Dryad. I was, it's literally they the text attached of Korean Dryad. it to a card that is a cross format all star. Yeah, yeah. People they attached eight copies of in standard <laughs> and in pioneer. Yeah, they There's attached Korean Dryad to two mana draw two, which, yeah. if you ask me, is pretty freaking sick. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, Anyways, I love this deck. This deck is so underpowered. It's awesome. Um, it doesn't get to play Mox Diamond or Daze or Gush or Foil. Um, instead, it just has to pay mana for all its spells. I think you're um, at a huge advantage because Dum Dums don't have Eidolon of the Great Rebel in their deck anymore. You can't beat. You literally can't beat any configuration of the burn deck with this deck because all the creatures have three or less toughness. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna rock and roll. Everyone, yeah. every single one of your creatures dies to a searing blaze. It's just like yeah. unbelievable. Oh, what about a searing blood? <laughs> most most searing of the creatures blood. die to a searing blood. Although Ooh, Michael J. I can. I think I, I'm gonna play like 14 total minutes in the Swiss. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's my goal. <laughs> I mean, if this deck is, um, if this uh, grow tog grow grow a miracle grow deck in modern is this popular, because the price of this the guy the dryad has already spiked. Like yeah, you'll you have insane matchup versus that. Burn has a good matchup what versus if you already had it. Burn versus has, well, you're not you're gonna sell it. You're gonna lend it to me permanently. Anyways, oh, yeah. How many of my super expensive cards did I just lend? You I have um. I'm actually I'm I'm going to I'm I got a present for you, so I'm actually gonna get hit you back for letting me permanently borrow a bunch of your cards. 
Well, I mean, it's not permanent. Those are the only city of traders I own. <laughs> well, the cities you'll get back because I have gold bordered, but okay. you're never getting the intuitions back. <laughs> like, I lost my job. I'm not going to be plus $600 for a little while. Like, my wife I'm not is asking you to pay for them. My wife is uh, at some point, can nope. I have my cards? Back? No, you can't have them back until I buy my own. I still need to be plus 600 to, to what if get I need to play replenish? I am the most decorated replenish. Player you're not gonna, you're not gonna play month. replenish. You're too busy. You'll never play a deck. So, a little bit of insight into how the team works. We all hop on Discord and we all just think. Like, our own deck is, like, better than everyone else's. And I we're, don't. Everyone's like, you should just play what I want to play. And they're like, no, you should play what I want to play. And we all just, like, go back and forth. Oath Palouche was the first Oath time. Oath or Goblins. The, I'm not. You were I'm mad about it. I'm not out there making decks. Well, that's just because you've been off, you've been off it for a while. I don't know what's going on with, uh, you know, formerly one of the deck designers of all time. Don't know what's going on with you. You're too busy, I guess. Too busy to put pen to paper. And you and you only get your reps in in person play, so you're a little I ran rusty. Like, well, today I ran six miles, did about eighty diamonds, did a row. Probably just going to do archery and then run another two miles tonight before going to the Cavs game. Yeah, none of these are. Also, it's basketball season. I mean, of, like yeah. I love magic, but <laughs> I, like three nights a week, I'm going to be. I, I literally just go to. I live. I live two blocks from the Barclays Center. They conveniently made the, the season opener two minutes from my house. Like I'm not going to go. Rand was like, "You miss movie club for basketball." I'm like, "Yes, I was at the season opener." I mean, there you have it. Don't expect any new pre-modern technology from Michael J. soon. Um, yeah, June, so, we'll come back in June just in time for Lobster Cod. Do you have, like, Same 75 Burn X2? Can you just, like, lend me Same 75 Burn, and we can just, like, no. both play Burn? In the I, have, I have enough fetch lands, but you won't have good ones, I think. I've got, I've got, uh, I've got fetches and, and uh, chocks. I only have five Eidolons. I don't I, know. I just won't they, play I have, I have I'll some play extra Vortex. goblin guides, but not an extra four. I have definitely like swift spears. I can look at regular burn cards. I've, I think I, let me think, what that dual lands do we need? Yeah, I definitely have extra sacred foundry. I gave land sacred. I've got, I've got sacred foundry. I've got sacred foundry and uh, every red fetch. I'm going to use bloodstained Myers, obviously, because old, old border, like just bloodstained Mire wooded foothills. Well, empirically correct to play the red blue one and the black blue one. I literally won a match last year. At a, you mean the black red one? It's actually, so, red, yeah. so you my don't own it. Like, all right. I'm just going to blow your mind here. Don't play. I was death shadow. So don't play black red one because your opponents, Dothy Voidwalker can play the black red land and go get a uh, swamp from their deck. Okay. When I start losing to Dothy Voidwalkers, <laughs> I, maybe I'll listen to you. Um, I, so I, I know I'm going to sound like a, I don't know, an, either an asshole or a boomer on this, but basically all the things I think about about Burn are right. And all of the times when other people disagree with me, it just takes them a while before they figure out that they've been wrong. There's no, right? like, well, there's just like, I'm just always right. So and like, there's no burn. The reason for that is because I think about it instead of just copying all these decks with four skull crack. No, I mean, there, there's just no burn. There's no burn mains anymore. Like if, if I, I mean, I guess I'll have to ask, I'll, I'll have to ask um the, cause you know, you're just terminally not online. I'm terminally online. Right. So somewhere out there, there's, there's, you know, an individual who's just mainlining modern burn and hasn't stopped for like there's you know, a lot whatever. of them, right? So no, there's not. Try, there's not. There is they name, have a whole Discord. Name them. No, 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 no. No discords. Mike, 
Mike, you can't point to people. They just talk like, to me. No, no, Mike. I don't know who they are. No, no, just, just, just you gotta. You always do this thing where you're obsessed with you're obsessed with the people who are you're obsessed with the people who have bad information, and you're like really into. I look at you're all really, the deck lists, and they all have skull crack. Mike, their decks are bad. Okay, let me talk. Okay, fine. Stop obsessing over people with bad information. Look for the people who have good information. There's no point. Like, there are limitless. Magic the Gathering players who make poor decisions in their deck list. And they, they go and they play, they win their ICQ, like whatever. There's just there's an unlimited supply of people who, who effectively, you know, don't know what they're doing or don't know what they're doing adjacent. But that's not useful to you. Like, it's not useful to you to, like, scream into the void that Skullcrack is unplayable. Like, you actually have to find somebody you know, who's doing, doing the right things, or you just have to be that person. But there's just like no point. I mean, you know, we've heard it a million times. Like you're, you're, you've been on the crusade. We're there. Carl Serap, who's like multiple pro tour top eight competitor or Mangu are like out there. Well, Mangu's not with these terrible decks. Are they? they, I said burn main. I said burn main. Mangu doesn't play burn. He's played a bit multiple freaking videos where he's playing in leagues. But that's not, that's not playing burn. That's not playing burn. That's content. Mike. Yeah, so I'm just, just saying they're just playing these terrible versions, and you ask them why, and they're like, "That's just the version people play." Yeah, that, that, that the means I play. That means they're not a credible source. Like, I don't care if Finkel is playing a League of Burn. I'm like not gonna <laughs> ask him. Like Finkel's gonna play a League. Yeah. Okay. Right? But that's what Come I'm saying. Come on, Lanny. Whatever. I don't. I'm, I'm honestly. What I'm trying to say is just like they're not, you don't they don't have it on good information, right? This is like the fundamental. The fundamental uh, problem is that you need to look for good information. You can't just be like, oh, well, there's only bad information out there. Like, you have to look for good information. So, like, basically, what I'm trying to say is that nobody, like, um, I recommend everybody go check out um, the most recent Humans of Magic, or not most recent, second most recent Humans of Magic interview episode in which uh, James talks to a friend of the podcast. Samuel H. Black. And one of the things that Sam uh, effectively referenced or sub-referenced is information cascades. He was just saying, like, um, one of the things that you, you have to do when you're, like, innovating or coming up with decks is just assume that people miss, probably missed something. Like, like look for information, like, you know, that they they either all net deck to each other, they have no idea what they're doing. Like, you just have to assume that, right? It's and, and, and he was just like, in order to be a deck builder, you have to have hubris, because you have to believe that people are doing something wrong. I've got the hubris. Oh, I know you have the hubris. I've got that part covered. Um, an addendum to that, I think, I mean, I'm, I don't know, I'm just kind of meandering at this point, but the addendum to that is that, like, there are sources of good information. Like, uh, you can... You can look for uh, the, the the individual, the, the person that just like only plays burn in modern, and like they're actually good at it, right? They like top, they like top whatever there is to top around. Like there's not really that much competitive modern. Burn didn't really make a showing at the PT, um, but uh, somebody is like grinding grinding burn and like working on these lists. Um, you know, uh, you know, they'll they'll just be posting. They'll be like, "Hey, I tried trimming lightning helix. I tried cutting scroll crack. Like, you know, rolling vortex is good. Rolling, rolling vortex, vortex is, is bad. Good. It's good. I mean, it's good right now because every deck pays zero mana for their spells. 
I cast a I cast a freaking Mistress Bobble into that thing uh, last week. You're dumb, dumb. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I was just like my opponent played it, and I was like, oh sweet, my card like my deck does not have Fury, Solitude, or any Cascader, so I'm good. And I'm like Mistress Bobble, take five, concede, concede. <laughs> I just hit the concede I, button so fast. I beat fast. this guy. I beat this guy in the Swiss. He ended up making top eight. I was just, I don't play Sanctifier on back. And he's like, well, that would have just beaten me. And I'm like, dude, I had a Rolling Vortex in play against your Mishra's Bobble theme deck. Why do you feel like I needed Sanctifier back? What were you going to do with your Mishra's Bobble theme deck through the Rolling Vortex that was in play? Because as I recall, I easily defeated you. Yeah, and Sanctifier, <laughs> yeah, Sanctifier is... Sanctifier deck's good. Yeah, it's pretty, um, it's definitely pretty medium. Uh, in, uh, I'm going to think I'm going to play four on Saturday just because of scam idiots. If you think that I shouldn't play... I mean, uh, Roman told me that he didn't add Sanctifier and Beck, and, and Roman and Rebel have both been be- beating scam without it, so... I don't know. I played Scam one time. It doesn't. Never, it doesn't seem to me like a beat it. exciting card because you just like you're uh, you play Gear Two against Scam, right? So I play whatever gear the dealer gives me. Yeah, but magic. but if, the, if it's up to me, I'll play Gear Two. But, but Scam you know, Scam only wins. It to me. I mean, Scam's pretty classic deck that only wins through dealing damage with creatures, right? So it's just a, it's just like a you know killer yeah, creature. Yeah, but Fury is really hard to gear to. Like they they can get to like four four on turn one on the play. I mean, it's hard to gear to that. Like it's not impossible. Yeah, and it take like sixteen damage. Okay, and then that's so, mean, so so you're so you're well then you can just play um. Then it's better to play Burrington Forgetender, right? I'm not playing that. I don't play. I don't play. Like people who play cards like Wear Tear, don't want to win, right? Like Burrington Forgetender to me is a Wear Tear. I'd rather play a Core Firewalker, right? And that contains a that contains. Yeah, a, yeah. I'm down for Firewalker yeah. too. Because you're that, just looking. You're just looking for something that blocks. You're yeah. literally just yeah. You're just looking looking for something that blocks. The the exile clause right. is to, effectively not relevant. We need to put in the show notes that at you know 17 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, going gonna to, switch, I'm going to. We're going to switch back to premium. Yeah, we'll talk to premium. We'll talk about premium okay. eventually. But you know, it's been like we haven't caught up, so we have to ca- catch up during the podcast, and then yeah. and then we talk pre-modern. And we have to like we specifically have to continue our trend of like not providing our listeners with any context about what we're saying. So we just like you know just leave them confused. Um, I, I, I I expect I expect this is going to be like our top five most listened episodes, given how things are going so far. But this is this is what I've learned to expect. Be, be our paradigm. I want people to understand the things that we're talking about. You know, like I. It was like 2021, and I came to the conclusion that I had just made it difficult for people to understand me for the first 45 years of my life, that I could have just made myself easier to understand, and I would have reached more people and been more compelling and more persuasive. And that, like, I had this put myself in this position where I was just like, oh, I'm such a genius. Everybody should just, like, come to me on the terms that I want. But that's just not... That's just not the best way to deal with people. I, th- I, I think you're. Do, I, I think. I think you're still struggling with this, uh, I, which I, is very now interesting. I'm at least stuff. Aware of it. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. That's a very. Trying, I mean, big, you know, like, big steps. Big steps. I mean, I appreciate. I, I appreciate the self. You know, one of the th- my favorite things about you, as my old man friend, is that you 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 are always seeking to improve, and I really I really appreciate that uh, character trait. I, I think it's a cornerstone of our of our friendship. <laughs> 
And me too. We're both seeking to improve. But you're mostly like seeking to improve your sequencing with like a, a prison deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Um, I'm seeking to improve my Zen position in the universe, which is probably going to manifest itself in you in know, sequencing in prison decks. Yeah, yeah. Maybe sequencing like which red one drop I should play first. Right. I was looking at Antonio Padial's second place Landstill deck, which is like a time traveler's deck. Three disenchant, three factor fiction, three decree of justice, four standstill. Like he just like he just like got in the blue police box and then was at the Easter Championships 2021 with his uh with his landstill deck. Right? Two Dust Bowl. No arcane lab. This is like literally, you know, let's 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 hit Huey Lewis in the news. I mean It looks to me like a landstill deck. None of none of the none of the things that were you different about landstill excite me. I do like four dust bowl and I like arcane lab, but uh, you know, do you not I would, really appreciate the nuance and the radical improvements in deck design and landstill over the last year between Lan and myself and Tom Matelski? Like the landstill decks now are so good compared to the landstill decks from two years ago. Like they're wildly better. And it makes me a little sad that you don't understand how much better they are. I mean, this deck is this deck is just three main deck Phyrexian Furnace off from Selton's list. And it's got mages in the side, which you like anyways. Yeah, but it's just like, but like Selden's list was not the Ur list, right? You want to have like some Selden, some Landiho, some Tom Matelski, put it all together and you have like four Dust Bowls and Arcane Labs and, you know, Seals because they're better heads up against meddling mages than disenchants are right like you just want all those things yeah i mean i don't i don't disagree i just think that you overstate how many points it gets you you don't think there's a difference between a deck that can have a forbid lock with arcane lab with four dust bowls and a deck that doesn't have that capability i mean like, I, ju I just don't i just don't I mean, just like auto win it just doesn't it doesn't get me out of bed like i'm just like <laughs> i'm just like you're like hey i've got this deck it's so good. I'm like, well, I don't like that deck. And they're like, well, at least like, it's just, better than like, the other deck that... You like that, these stupid prison decks, and I'm just, like, describing to you a situation where your opponent wouldn't be able to bust out of just cards that are not in these other decks, and you're like, oh, that's just cards. I like... I, I like... I would have to I like it. I'm that. telling you that I like it. I'm just telling you that it's not going to turn me into a landstill stand. A standstill. Land. I mean, I'm. I land, am a landstill. Land, stand, stand, still, land, stand, land, stand, still, land, stand. Let's look at this third place deck. This deck is a baller. All right. It's it's twelve twelve with main deck duress. I like a sleight of hand. He has he has three sleight of hand. Does Pablo Cubedo. Um, three lotus petal. So he's he's asking the dealer for some help, and the dealer got him two two slots from number one. Limdul's Vault! Third, third place, which is the Spike Colony favored tournament yeah. outcome. Wow, this deck is... This deck is... It doesn't actually do anything better than the other decks, but it's got some spice to it. Yeah, it's got, it's got Lotus Petal. I mean, um, you know, yeah, Lotus, Petal, Lotus Petal for land. Duress. Um, well, no, because it's got three Lotus Petal and 17 land, so it's up, yeah, it's it, up two mana sources, two or three mana sources on most lists um uh dress is the same thing as uh you know uh one mana whatever uh dress is basically peak 
No, duress is, you know, you gotta you gotta pull your opponent's relevant interaction. That's good. I mean, I've always uh, I've always thought that blue black is at least like more playable than it seems. Blue. I mean, it's definitely. I, I think I'd rather play mono blue than this deck, uh, to be honest. TV. I, I think dress. I don't know. Dress is pretty sweet. I mean, uh, like dress cabal therapy. Like obviously cabal therapy against non-interactive decks, like that are just gonna plan to have like three plowshares in hand. Like that's the same thing as meddling mage. So and Limdil's fault. It's blue. a buy. It doesn't get you out of the situation. Like this deck has no way to get you out of the situations that you don't win. I mean, like Limdul's Vault is hilarious, right? Because somewhere in your deck, a gush is standing next to uh, a a far exchange dreadnought, and right, like look, that rules. Okay, like, so, can you just imagine? I'm like, oh, I'll, yes, this I one's good. Pay one, pay one. Oh, this sweet! Is how, this this is pile has gush foil <laughs> dreadnought. Well, let's go. Play this way before we figured out the good twelve twelve decks. This deck is an boomerang to fight meddling mage, which is the best creature in the format. I think it's, it's actually got. One boomerang and three limbs waltz. So and you just boomerang. look for you just look for the boomerang. What if the meddling mage was on boomerang, Pablo Cabedo? Does it get one. anything out of sideboard that matters? One vendetta, one engineered plague. This is come on, Lanny. This is poop. This I mean, it doesn't it doesn't excite me, but it like I appreciate it's I appreciate that it finished well. Um, I, I also appreciate it. I like it. I let's just, go to let's go to let's talk about. Um, Talk about place number four. This this deck is gonna is gonna blow your mind. Jose Maria Toledo. Now that is the name of a champion. Jose Maria Toledo. One scion of darkness. I don't know what this is. I have to look at it. Eight mana for a six six. Well, we're there on rate to start. <laughs> Eight mana for a six six. Trample avatar. Whenever scion of darkness deals combat damage to a player, you may put target creature card from that player's graveyard. Onto the battlefield under your control, cycling three, and it's an avatar. Is there any way to get this for free? No. Uh, I, I would. Uh, I would no. keep. I would keep reading. I would keep reading. You're you're three slots away from the card. <laughs> Shepherd of Rot. This is like a just giving me nightmares of the match that I had against Aaron Dix, my anti penultimate match in the PSS. That was humiliating. Uh, Cabal Archon. Uh, three mana for a two-two. B sacrifice a cleric. Target player loses two life, and you gain two life. I am still not excited yet. For dark supplicant. Okay, this is I don't know what any of these cards do, but maybe that would have been an edge that Jose Maria Toledo, name of champions, would have had over me. B for a one-one. Not excited. Creature cleric. Tap sacrifice three clerics. Okay, ready to sacrifice clerics. Search your graveyard hand and or library for a card named Scion of Darkness and put it into play. If you search your library this way, shuffle it. I mean, is there a way to get haste? Like, how do you keep the opponent from killing your Dark Supplicant? Like, if I saw a Dark Supplicant, like this would be, I think I wrote an article called the Dave Price Rule. So Dave Price, uh, Pro Tour LA champion, had a rule which was, <clears throat> If you don't know what a thing is or you don't know what a thing does, you just kill it immediately. Yeah. <laughs> so if somebody summons a dark supplicant against you, then the, you just danger Will Robinson. <laughs> and then you you point your lava dart at it immediately. They'd be like, hey, this is a one one for one for, with no text. I agree. How bad can my opponent be? Maybe that text is not actually zero text. 
Uh, and there's other clear God, Cabal Archon is not a good magic card. Shepherd of Rot is an okay magic card, but there's not that many zombies. This is a cleric deck. Priest of Gex is unplayable. If Dark Ritual is not good, Dark Ritual for three is <laughs> it's really can't be good. Um, this card was played heavily in the Hatred decks around 1998. Uh, those of us who you know missed breakers at at the national and international levels with their hatred decks or repeatedly won at the local level i.e ptqs regional championships etc with hatred cut pre-gicks because it's not good and dark ritual for three is not good uh so this card is not good although it is a cleric uh, it's a three casting cost cleric with negative text uh rotlung reanimator this card's pretty good uh so two two for three Whenever Rotlung Reanimator or another cleric is put into a graveyard from play, put a 2-2 black zombie creature token into play. If your opponent wants to uh, fight against your cleric's theme deck on a fair axis and for some reason doesn't have the best card in the format towards the plowshares, I can see Rotlung Reanimator having some text. Uh, Withered Wretch. Well, do you tell me what you think about Withered Wretch? <laughs> well, I love Withered Wretch in this deck because it has creature type zombie cleric. So it turns What about on, in general? Like, what, what if this was just being evaluated as a magic? Withered Wither Wretch is a horrible card. Instead but, of a card that might be sacrificed to Dark Supplicant. But, uh, like, literally, I, literally, if it was BB blank text box, zombie cleric 2-2, I'm in on this deck. And then blank text box like for the rest of the format would be like extremely helpful to like every other magic player in pre-modern it's just okay it's a 2-2 for bb and it's a zombie cleric so sometimes it's a 3-3 thanks to uh lord of the undead or bad moon there's no lord of the undead or bad moon in this um well there's shepherd of the rot there's raw lung reanimator and there is of course Dark Supplicant. Mike, I'm just going to cut you off here. I'm going to cut you off here. I love this deck. This deck is hysterical. It's I running. I didn't love that. It's running. It's running. I love this deck with it's, an R. Uh, it's, it's running um, Dark Supplicant, which is just Goblin Lackey and Cleric's Close. Um, <laughs> and what's better than Goblin Lackey and Cleric's Close? You don't even have to have the, the Goblin Goon in your hand. You pull it out of your deck. Um, you've just got a bunch of guys. You've got Reach in the form of Shepherd or Rot, Cabal Archon, and a one of all-timer Caravex Spite. Uh, you can't consult for this one, but it doesn't matter. We'll just draw it. Um, four pack of Dark Ritual, three pack of Unearth. Uh, in conjunct Unearth in conjunction with Priest of Gix turns into a Dark Ritual. But Priest of Gix, man, you're just putting more material on the battlefield faster, right? You can just go turn one Ritual, Priest of Gix, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, Scion. <laughs> You're looking at the deck. You can't dark, playable card. Dark, dark, I love it. Dark <laughs> Supplicant, Shepherd of the Rot. Okay, listen, listen. So this is ideal turn run, right? You go Ritual, uh, Priest, Supplicant, any other cleric, right? Can be Withered Wretch, which is a cleric. Might I remind you, it's the only good thing it's good at is being a cleric and a zombie. Then turn two, you ritual again <laughs> and you play this rotlung reanimator you sacrifice three clerics you get three Ooh. zombies and you get your scion of darkness from anywhere in in the game anywhere in the game can be your hand your library your reward. um probably gonna be in my hand because that's how that's how lucky you are yeah this one away doesn't matter um I played against this deck um I played against this deck online just like a casual matches we online I was testing Is my not a casual match when you're playing online. Um, 
I mean, there's a there's the, the tournament playoffs, of course. Um, okay. And so I was just playing no stakes, and I was I was testing out my mono red goblins deck, and my so that's opponent the deck I can get behind my opponent tombs. How many all, ancient all tombs? Four, all four, all four. Ancient tombs. All of the ancient tombs, please. Um, and my goblins can't get past this deck. Because it has, it makes unlimited two two blockers. Almost it takes snorted out my nose when you said that. It literally can't. Because one goblins yeah, can't answer a scion of darkness. Yeah, sure it can. So if it ever it can't. Sure it can. It can't. Have you tried? Try. No. We'll I'm play. Not. I'm we'll play this thing. Threaten. When Gabriel Nassif played goblins to the finals of Pro Tour Valencia or whatever, Venice, whatever year that was, he had threaten in his goblin deck. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're threatening Scions, we're threatening Terravors, we're threatening uh, Phyrexian Dreadnoughts, but, um, you know, short of threaten, uh, Scion of Darkness is just going to end the game versus you, and it's going to end the game in hilarious fashion, because you can't even, you have to block it with six power, because if you block <laughs> it with five toughness... Yeah. <laughs> Here's a guy. Let's go. They're gonna get your goblin lackey, anyways. Uh, so this I is like to revise my position. Not revise. I, I wanted to clarify my position. I love this deck. It has no good cards, <laughs> but I love it. It has sweet cards inside. Where bad moon's good. I love the bad. I'm gonna need. I'm gonna need um Jose to to send us a message on Discord or Twitter or Facebook about these sideboard bad moons because this this man was so pessimistic about his his uh, his game against the field that he was gonna run into another deck containing black creatures that he put his bad <laughs> moons in the sideboard. He's like, nah, pretty bad card bad in the dog. really really bad in the mirror. It's just like what. <laughs> You're not gonna play against a deck with black what creatures. Is with all these decks that don't have black creatures are so bad. Like the 12 swamp deck we just look at had an engineered plague, right? Like Pablo Cabedo's deck had one engineered don't ask, plague. Don't ask this me. Deck, don't ask me. This deck has three engineered there's, plagues. There's nothing I enjoy more than drawing multiple copies of engineered plague against a deck that's named after a creature type. Um, yeah, because the second one might help you win because the first one, they all know that the first one is coming. It's true. It's true. And you have like no way to fix your draws. I mean, a deck like this, like with no card selection, just, just four, 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 three, like, your, mean, so your sideboard. Not, not meaning to like put the dragon out of the bag or anything, but how many Rorks blade wing in your mono red deck? Four. Four Rorks blade wing. Why? <laughs> because you can't draw it. You can't beat engineer play. Right. Like, so you, you have to draw. Roar, yeah. You have to right. draw Rorks blade wing. This is like new old tech right? or so goblin when, goon. When I used to play goblins back in the day, we we're talking about 18 years ago at this point, right? I, I was a Monororx Blade Wing man. I was famous for saying the words two sets of wings. If you look at Monororx Blade Wing, the MFR has two sets of wings, right? Second set is for haste. Yeah. Well, no, it's um, for blades. It's, he's got his normal wings and then he's got his blade wings, blade which he's wings, named after. Right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was super into that. Why? Because I assumed people would kill my stupid goblins. Yeah. Kill this. <laughs> like, I mean, you know who's going to kill your goblins? Other goblin decks. Because, like, sometimes they had haste and you didn't, and they were like sharpshooter or sparksmith. Let's go. No one plays sparksmith. Yeah. That guy is sweet. And some opponents are going to be oathing out exalted angels, and you're going to need a brawl with those angels. I mean, a sparksmith kills sign of darkness or exalted angel really easily. So it's funny to me that nobody plays it. Uh, Just tap my guy. Kill I mean, guy. 
You can matron for the incinerator. I mean, I see what you're saying. No, it's, yeah. How about I do it a second time? Yeah. How about I do it a third time? How about it never cost me any mana? Well, just play, just quit asking for lists and build the goblins list yourself, man. You're always like, you're always hitting up the Discord. Tech designers of all time. You're you're just um, just pointing basic things out, right? Like I watched somebody sideboard against Rebel and Rebel beat them. And I was just like, he's just like, oh, how do you think I sideboarded? And I'm like, I think you lost the game before you started. And he's like, why? I'm like, you over-sideboarded. Like, if you're playing goblins, you can't bring in this many cards. And the reason for that is because it you're you're biasing your draws towards goblin lackey and goblin ringleader, and your average goblin ringleader got you, like, nothing, right? Or you're not going to connect with a goblin lackey. You need to not have that many, like, pyrokinesis after sideboarding. You need to be very judicious about this. You, I think that people don't play enough goblin tinkerers. And you should play long on Tinkerer, long on Sharpshooter. Why? Because they say Goblin on them. But like you can't, you can't play this deck that has like these uber explosive draws based on Goblin Lackey and Goblin Ringleader, and then just never get money for them. Otherwise, they're like Smiths. One of the reasons that Smiths lost to you at LobsterCon, even though he had that dev, like, seriously, any normal person would have conceded three times before you, you locked that game down, right? It's the top eight. Be- Nobody concedes in the top eight. Yeah, it was because he was just like connecting with Goblin Lackey and like putting a Mog Fanatic in play, right? He just he was just out, he had all the sweet interplay cards, but no clock. Well, he's I mean he's in damned if you do, damned if you don't territory, right? So as demonstrated in like every goblins versus parfait match of all time triggering oath of druids is really bad news for the goblins deck and again with no way to control your draws the only way you solve this problem is by having a naturalized post board because you can't overpower oath of druids which either um which either gains a 20 life or wipes your board if you have like two kings you have two kings and a lot of luck. You can overcome it. Yeah, but that would you rather draw two kings or one copy of Naturalize followed by another copy of Naturalize? I'm not saying by, he, I, by the way, yeah. I'm not saying you did wrong. I think that dude had an insane draw. I think that you are the hero of ages for pulling that game out. All, yeah, yeah. all I'm saying is just like that is a good example of a goblin deck decreasing its concentration of threat yeah and i mean let's, we're no longer playing against land tax deck yeah exactly so it, right like, well okay so so this is this is an important distinction so how many naturalized do you want in your deck against engineered plague post board uh well i mean naturalizes or naturalized effects naturalized effects Right, so I get access to, well, it also depends what deck I'm playing against and what my other interplay is, right? If I'm playing against The Rock, I feel like I don't need as many, right? If I'm playing against, like, uh, Black Red, I might not play any, right? Like, Yeah, I guess this is a weird discussion because there's not right? too like, many Engineered Plague decks besides The Rock. I mean, obviously, it's a card that anybody, any deck can bust out. Like, yeah, Rotok play. can play Engineered Plague. So, but. like, the thing is, like, if you're playing against Black Red and you're worried about how many times you're going to disenchant them, they're just going to kill you, right? Right? Like, you have all these cards that don't deal any damage, and then they're just going to, like, cast a Dark Ritual. Yeah. Insidious Dreams on tap and 16 you. So, like, you can't worry about... I mean, they, the thing is, they probably have access to Engineered Plague if they want it. So you kind of have to Hope you kind of have it. to beat them by being faster. Right. So how how many naturalizes do you want in your deck against a deck that has Oath of Druids, Enlightened Tutor, and then Phoenix Chosen, a Chroma package post board? Max, however many I have. Exactly, right? right. So this is this is an important dif- distinction. In the yeah. parfait days, you would want to play, you know, you would want to play every single 
just just fire fire everything right uh put yeah. everything in the cannons try to stop the sotha druids um and then in the post parfait days there are a few decks running around uh super secret brew from yours truly and um of course landy hoth which has um once again reprised the uh chosen phoenix uh, oath package and that's just really hard for goblins to deal with especially when you add a chroma in um into the the falling and then and then the sideboard games and so like you want max's enchant now Notably, super interesting our question. hero was undefeated against goblins <laughs> at the sacred torch yeah so super interesting question how many nationalized should goblins have against oath palouche Ooh, uh, interesting. Uh, huh. Because oaths can't kill you. In fact, it doesn't even come close to killing you. I, I actually think that, so this is a great example of kind of what I was trying to get at. I think they should just be long on tinkerers, right? And long on sharpshooters. Not necessarily like long on pyrokinesis and disenchant effects. Because like, I would have max tinkerers in this matchup. As many tinkerers I had access to would be in my deck. You just want to blow moxes? Like, like the yeah. I mean, Moxes is the obvious thing, right? But like, you could just tinker lots of stuff. But like, their other artifacts aren't very. Like, actually, after sideboarding, they probably have like Zurin Orb, right? So, I don't know. I mean, they, they might have one. That's how many they have, Lanny. Yeah. I mean, but like up to one between zero and one. Place one in his main deck. Oh, okay. okay. Well. Yeah. So like, um. Like, they're not even going to have Sphere of Resistance against you after sideboarding. It's not good against Lackey, and it's like you also have, like, the same sort of uh, Wasteland, Rishon Port interplay that they have. Like, their they're symmetrical land destruction is just not that good against Goblins. So I guess they're super... I, I don't know. I guess you have to deal with Oath. If you... Maybe you don't even. Like, their Oath creatures aren't good. Like, you just don't lose to a Terrabore, or like, you just go through a Terrabore. Yeah, you I mean, in the coverage... Yeah, yeah. You can't go like through. You don't sharp necessarily hands. go through an exalted angel, but like you just kill it. Yeah. No. Right? I like, mean, I think it's. I think it's super interesting. Um, although, it maybe it's worth noting that having like dense ringleader hits is like less important if you're gonna play an explosive game. I mean, I mean, it's just such so, an interesting question. Like, so if I were gonna construct my own goblin sex, so like I almost, you know which is like, I, I can't play this deck because I don't have enough reps. I'm just going to play goblins. My 75 is just do set goblins, right? Because we tested before the PSS top four, and that's the version you wanted me to make, and I just haven't updated it. If I were going to make my own deck, I would have, I would have uh, way more tinkerers, way more sharpshooters after sideboarding. And, I mean, Doucette already has access to four copies of... of uh, uh, Jem Palm Incinerator, but I would keep that. So I think that like Palouche Goblins, which only has total two copies of Jem Palm Incinerator, is too low, right? Like they're they're very good in the mirror, and they're very good in these situations where you wouldn't necessarily imagine them to be good, right? Like I, I played in the original Goblins versus Exalted Angel era, and Exalted Angels don't live against Jem Palm Incinerators unless there's a unless there's a um, Astrocyte in play. Right. If there's an astrocyte in play, you could just piggyback the gem palm incinerator to phase out the phase out. The right. So it'll never. Yeah. Yeah. But like, <clears throat> if there's not, like, it's really easy to tag team that gem palm incinerator with a mug fanatic or a sparksmith or a or a, a gem palm. I'm sorry, a, a goblin sharpshooter to make sure that the like a four or five is just not big against against. A, yeah, a but it becomes a different. It becomes a different equation because 
um, <clears throat> you like your Oath of Druids means your opponent adds to the battlefield every turn. Yeah. So if you're wide, then you are not likely to be able to suppress uh, for like you need to suppress and get damage in at the same time, right? No. Because they're eventually going to put a twenty twenty into play, and then you're okay. Done. Do you know how like when Lan was saying that like it's not fair because they actually formulated a strategy against his deck, and like other people just didn't formulate a strategy against his deck, so he gets default lands. Like I've actually thought about how I would play against Oath Pollution from a bunch of situations. So Lan still is a better example because I don't think I would ever lose. Yeah. Well, we're not going to leak. Never we're not going to. We're not going to leak the land okay, strat so to like, winning. Uh, so, winning versus uh, Oath Polish. But, but goblins, like, goblins, we've talked about on this. the goblin side. Uh, who cares about a 2020? I'm gonna go through you. Yeah, right? I mean, like, and so like the 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 thing that you have to you have to figure out what axis you're on. And the Oath Polish deck, they like to bully people with Wasteland and Rishon on port so that they can set up a cataclysm, and then they have to get in certain matchups. They have to get leverage from Oath of Druids. They don't get leverage from Oath of Druids. They're just a deck with 32 sources. <laughs> so like a probably as many ways as I could kill Oath of Druids. I would want after sideboarding, but you're not going to bully me with Richard on port wasteland. I have the same stuff as you. You're never going to pull off the cataclysm. So don't think about it. Right. Like the, the goblins game plan is to literally go straight through you. And your first, your first Terravor might be too small. Also, I would play Sparksmith. And I think the fact that people don't play Sparksmith is insane. Yeah, I mean, I like so we saw it on camera at the Sacred Torch Showdown when uh, uh, Tom played against Sitsis and um, made the minor misstep of sacrificing all of his offense to put a ringleader onto the table. But uh, that was that went about as poorly for Tom as it possibly could have, and he still would have won um, because Sitsis opened like oaths a creature every single turn in addition to playing another creature. So. Uh, Tom's opening was Lackey go. Sitsis has land go, no plow, right? So Tom connects and puts Siege Gang into play and then follows up with another Lackey. And then Sitsis gets his, his first Oath trigger on, on turn. Um, or no, Sitsis responds with an Oath. Tom gets in. Sitsis gets his first Oath trigger, but then he gets a hard cast of Terravor. So then he has two Terravors in play against, uh, against Tom's offense. So uh overwhelming the oath in this case is like super solid because the lackey got in right and then at that point you're adding more goblins to the board than one terror or one exalted angel a turn will do and of course if you're running siege gangs into the red zone uh that exalted angel is not going to gain any life so uh you know tom was of course this close to just overwhelming the defense created by oath of droids but i think that the multiple things that goblins can do can is always like addressable from from different vantage points so because the the game is going to be at least somewhat decided by the presence of non-basic lands goblins can't um can't accumulate the like unbelievable turn of just like zero creatures on battlefield to like 12 damage of haste right because that has to beat source of plowshares and you need enough mana to do it and like if you're constantly under the threat of cataclysm and you're trying to port waste the oath player off of cataclysm then you know they can put you in a position where they're so not going to let you accumulate don't get the me lands. wrong i think that it's a fight right it's a fight but it's not like i, I feel like the goblins players are they have they have game and they can think about the strategy that they would bring to bear against Oath Pelouche. Like I feel like if you watch you or you watch Fran on camera, it just looks like Oath Pelouche is this invincible deck. <laughs> it, like, 
People just haven't thought about trying to beat it. And I won't necessarily tell everybody how to beat it. I mean, I think I can tell you, I can tell you been beaten with oath pollution in front of me. There's a lot of ways you can lose games. No, no. I mean, that's definitely true. I think that it's the, but that's kind of the place that you're at, which is just that like, you're, you're playing a deck that's like naturally powerful. Right. And you do get like you all, I mean, this kind of segues into like somebody tweeted recently that like good players don't get good data on their decks because they feel like their deck can beat anything because they're a good yeah, player, that's right? Ev from Vancouver. That's who I beat in the finals of, uh, of, uh, the art modern RCQ I won last year. And, uh, he runs spice rack now. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. So Vancouver. So I love this tweet because it's like very true about pre-modern it's where like no way this tweet is true i responded i'm like there's no way this is true it's it's like so true in pre-modern there is not a causal relationship you are somebody being good you are like worse understanding you are like no you are like you're like the poster child for this because you'll be like you'll be like oh uh, i never lose this deck so yeah we have a good matchup and you just like say that about everything about every matchup about every deck there's lots of decks like that have bad with like some with like very few exceptions and then your exceptions are like contrarian right because they'll be out there to be clear my number one thing that i say about people in their strategic game is they don't understand matchups so if I have a contrarian opinion. My guess is that I understand the matchup well, and they don't understand the matchup. No, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. Like, I'm I'm on Team Michael J. I just think that you're the you're the poster child for like somebody who yeah, but like I- in bad matchups, like basically can figure out how to outplay your opponent, and somebody in like you know, like who's going to get bad data from that. This right? is Land's favorite example. I think he used it on the podcast when he was on, where he's just like, for years, Mike would just say Affinity was a good matchup for Bird. And I was just like, that's because I always won, right? He's just like, there's like an overwhelming amount of data on MCG Goldfish that like this is a 75% matchup for Affinity. And like, I'm like, Roman and I played in countless tournaments. We never lost to Affinity. (laughs) That leads me to believe that everybody else was wrong, right? Like, I mean, it's, you know, it's just right. But the, this, this is like, like a super interesting so thing, that right? So like, that I'm wrong. let's say, I mean, let's they're say all wrong. Right. But let, let's just like, this is, this is like, what's so interesting about that concept, which is just like, okay, like now somebody's going to go and they're going to like net deck Michael J. Byrne. And then they're going to get paired against affinity. And then they're going to be like, sweet. Michael J. says I win this. And then they're going to lose it because they don't know what they're doing. Right. And so somewhat inherently, Okay, so I had invented gear two, okay? Sure. So I taught Roman gear two, and I taught Joey Pasco gear two, right? So they were like, this matchup super favors affinity if you look at the math. And this is how I explained it at the time, right? I said, you both draw one card per turn, okay? If the card that you draw per turn is ever Grim Lava Mancer, you always win the game. If you configure your deck such that you can't ever draw a card that doesn't interact with the battlefield. They're like, what do you mean by that? And I said, in sideboarded games, side out every card that is only face burn. Side out all the lava spikes and all the Boros charms. If you have cards like Skullcrack, side them out. I'm like, why? Boros charm is really powerful. It deals four. I'm like, but it doesn't interact with the battlefield. You are playing against a deck that can only win with creature damage. So if you both draw one card per turn, and sometimes your card is Smash the Smithereens, and sometimes your card is Searing Blaze, and sometimes your card is Searing Blood, but you both only draw one card per turn. They can mathematically never beat you. 
right? But no one else seemed to understand this because they were playing Gear 1. That doesn't mean that I'm wrong. No. <laughs> that means they don't understand, A, how to sideboard, B, what the matchup is about. <laughs> like, And in fact, this is inescapable for Affinity. So, like, Affinity has a 75% matchup against morons who are trying to play Gear 1 against 5-5 five, five creatures, right? Like, don't do that. <laughs> it's super easy to only draw cards like Smash the Smithereens and Path to Exile if they're in your deck. And if you ever draw the card Grim Lava Mancer, you're a lock to win. They can now no longer ever deal damage to you with a Blink Moth. All of their fundamental creatures die on the spot. They can only beat with creature damage. Like, that's the thing that, like, I just don't understand how people can't wrap their head around. This is a very simple concept. Yeah, I mean, this is like, this is is like, he's just like, you're right. You could never lose. I'm like, I know. Somehow. You can never lose. Yeah. Somehow. uh, Humans, right? So I actually beat the guy to make top eight of modern, of modern championships like the next week who had won the classic with humans. He was like the one who put humans on the, on the map. He's just like, oh, this is a super easy matchup. And I'm like, I'm going to destroy you. And he's just like, uh, you have your stupid like tutus or whatever. Obviously, I destroy him. I got a standing ovation, right? Like people are watching because this is a top eight match, right? So whoever wins is gonna make top eight, right? He's so salty. I'm like, why are you so salty? He's like, ah, I should never lose this match. I'm like, you don't understand. You could never have won, right? Like, I don't have any cards in my deck that don't say kill a creature that you play. Your deck draws one card per turn. How do you plan to beat a Grim Lava Mancer and, and a Searing Blood? It's mathematically impossible, right? Like, but you're just here like, I'm so mad that I didn't l- win with my 2-1 creature. Like, it's a freaking joke. Like, people have to willfully play like a donkey. All right, to lose. all right, all right, all right, we got it. Um, no, no, I mean, you're totally right in the sense that, like, then you have, like, a another layer above, which is just that, like, okay, if you're going to sit down against an opponent who knows what they're doing and you know what you're, you, you're doing, then you actually have a matchup. And that's, like, why testing is so important. So, but, like, the rest of the time, the if, like... The I would make is these matchups are not solvable from the other side the way that people have configured their decks, right? No, no, no. The, I, the future, I, if they want to... That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying yeah. that, I'm saying that, like, you have like the the proletariat you have the plebeian the plebeian masses just jamming leagues and games and whatever and then you have like you know pro tour testing teams that are like actually figuring out how these like decks interact with each other right so like um i don't know take take tron for example right so so tron was just like a deck that didn't exist in the form that uh you know uh handshake tron which like you know top eight of the pro tour or got second place in Pro Tour in the hands of well, no. uh, Christian Kalk. Um, Kano was not playing Handshake Tron. He was playing Classic Tron. Oh, okay, cool. Tron put multiple copies into the top eight, but Kano was just playing regular Tron. Okay, fair Handshake enough. Tron had actual ways to interact with Dothy Boyd Walker, and uh, Kano lost to a Dothy Boyd Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> Famously. <laughs> so Famously lost to the turn two Boyd Walker. Uh, this, the, the Handshake Tron would have been able to interact with it. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but in any case, like, you know, this is like the kind of this is the kind of stuff that happens where um, like, you know, people like uh, I mean, Sam was on our podcast and he was just like, I don't believe that any format that wasn't played in the pro tour is a solved format. So that includes, you know, that included the standard format at the time, which was played at the RC. And then people show up with like an interesting deck and strategy. So 
Including Sam had one of the most interesting exactly, exactly. takes at so, that time. So, like, I don't know, just, like, reduce this down to pre-modern. Let's just go ahead and, and just say it. Like, one, even if you uh, consider us to be uh, probably the most, like, you know, like, the group that we play with to be, like, the most focused or most solid testers in the world, which, like, just you know, isn't necessarily true because we can't probably true. We can't, well, we can't encompass what other people are doing. And some of us are too busy running marathons and, uh, well, David starting, has been doing his whiskey business, starting so. O2 in starting O2 in tournaments, uh, to, to, to do any data gathering with our friends and, uh, other friends are like, uh, well, one Fran's Fran's volume of play has gone, uh, has gone down. Uh, he's been busy with life stuff. Um, I'm at least moderately busy with life stuff, but yeah, in the absence of, uh, focus playtest partners, I'm busy, uh, brewing decks that contain, um, four carnophage, four sarcomancy, four jackal pup and four Savannah lions. Um, <laughs> instead of getting anything done. So wait, 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 pause, pause, pause. <laughs> This has not happened in front of me. Is this like the equal and opposite to all those Friday nights where you yelled at me for making you play against some terrible control deck? I didn't make you play against anything. No, no, no. I, I have a terrible control deck. No, no. Deck. I'm saying that it's not the equal and opposite because I have like, not you made you play, play against any deck. Beatdown deck? Like, here's a song playable beatdown deck. Yeah, but I don't need an oath. I don't powder keg. I don't use the time Let's that we go. I don't use the time that we play against each other. Valuable family time. Like I don't yeah, exactly. I don't use valuable family time to 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 waste on on bad decks. Like I only bring I only bring that deck. I only bring important stuff to to the gauntlet. But anyways, the point is um this data like I appreciate the efforts of the people who've done aggregation on like the top eights and they're just like, Oh, this deck is successful and this deck is like, whatever. But I'm just going to echo a classic Michael J thing, which is that there's just like, there's like no tier list metagame for pre-modern. Like you literally have to, you would have to do so much work to like actually produce like some sort of like good matchup data on pre-modern of just being like, okay, like, you know, uh, uh, goblins beats elves. Right. But like, you can still roll up to a tournament with elves and beat every goblins players in the room. Like that's in the range because like you're just, you're, you're not going to beat the best goblins player, but you're probably like going to stand a chance. Like I, I think I am. I don't think I'm as good as Ole. I'm probably not as good as the reigning European champion, but I think I'm better than most people on elves. And I don't put myself on being an average player with goblins. Okay, I mean, fair enough. So, so, so maybe that's that's the range that you've you've decided. But like, let's go ahead and talk about uh, some other. So more co- let's talk just, about contested matchups, right? Let's I talk about. I just want to pause and acknowledge the thing that you just said, which is you're talking about Sam. Isn't Sam's Discord called Challenge Assumptions? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. So that's actually the whole point of what I was saying before, which is that like people just don't do things like side out lava spike in their lava spike deck because they just don't like. They just don't get it. They're like, this is what my deck is supposed to do. <laughs> but that's just gear one, right? And gear yeah. one is the shittiest gear. Like, people are just like, I'm gear one. That's that's a great recipe for doing 18 damage. No, no, I mean, I mean, challenging assumptions is like the name of, uh, is the name of Sam's credo. And that's like kind of the, but that's like, that's, I don't know. That figures into the entire point, right? Which is just that like, okay, um, we like, we assume a lot of things about pre-modern and basically none of them are true, but like the opposite isn't true either. So like, you're just like, Oh, okay, well burn always beats the rock. It's like, well, burn doesn't always beat the rock. Like sometimes rock beats burn. And like, it just doesn't matter because everybody plays a freaking or everybody plays a different list. Right. And then everybody like, 
does different things like with those lists. Right. So like generally speaking, like I, I, I got into this argument so time, so many times I was just like, listen, the rock, the rock doesn't beat burn. Like it beats burn, like maybe two out of 10 matches. And then they're just like, Oh, well, what's your list? I'm like, well, my list is for sulfuric vortex for price progress. And they're just like, well, I don't run that. And I'm like, well, those are make your deck better. I was like, those are good cards. Like those, like wh why wouldn't you run these cards, which are very flexible and very powerful in your red deck? Like, what are you running instead? And it's like, I run like Goblin I was Patrol. Having, <laughs> like, I don't know. I was having this conversation with Binary Soloist yesterday, and I'm like, I would never play Goblin Patrol. It's very bad. He's just like, no, but it seems like, you know, it's in some lists. And I'm like, it's not a list that I would make. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I Don't get me wrong. I understand. They're like, oh, we want the curve to be lower. We want more one drops. We want that. I'm like, okay, well, what if the curve didn't I have to... I don't understand how Flint won that. What if... <laughs> he, like, he has no cards for the mirror. He can't even get his pups out in the mirror. There's just nothing to put in. I mean, the, he wasn't like, prepared for the mirror. He just he probably didn't play against the mirror. <laughs> but, apparently not. Um, right? Like, but not being able to get your pups out of the mirror seems horrendous to me. Yeah. You're going to have to ask Flint. Um, but anyways, like my point is like, I, like, uh, you know, challenging assumptions. Just like, well, why does the curve have to be so low? Like why? Like you've got three, like sometimes you draw four lands. Sometimes you draw like six lands. I think people are just obsessed with and, on turn four. And yeah, obviously. And, what? and Berlin, Berlin said it like Berlin was running firebolt in his deck, which I was just like, okay, that's not good. Firebolt was an I'll instant. Probably guess. I mean, it, it's, it is how he conceived it because he was like, well, sometimes I'm going to play it. Like at least Berlin in including firebolt has an understanding of the gears, right? Because he's like, well, well some like, games I'm going to bolt a thing. And then I'm going to flashback that bolt once I have five lands because some games go long and I need like some semblance of card advantage in, in my deck. In the abstract, how does a firebolt compare to a seal of fire? In the abstract. It does, it does twice as much damage. <laughs> no, I mean, like it's the same, right? Sorcery speed two pointer with like some upside. Yeah. Right. Seal of fire is often better, but like a lot of the time you're just casting a seal of fire and using it immediately. Like firebolt does the same thing. It's, it's like, I made this argument when I wrote the official misers guide and I wrote this section on the grand unified theory of magic, which is that like people put too much emphasis on instants, like instants don't actually contribute to rate. Right. So they're just like, Oh no, no well, these cards are better because they're instant. I, I, I listened to the argument that you like the three way argument that you Tom and caffeinated had about like when to use removal and you're all wrong by the way like it's actually hilarious to me how wrong all three of you were and you were criticizing tom and tom was the closest to right all right so, lay it on us all right so you should use instant speed removal on your on so as a general rule right so in any individual game of magic what you're supposed to do as the optimal play will depend on a lot of factors that are local to that that episode of the series right like there's stuff going on it might be better to do this thing that you wouldn't do in a different game etc right but like when look, you're saying okay i'm obsessed with using pernicious deed at the end of my opponent's turn i'm going to take x amount of damage just so i can do this thing right that's an interesting rule right that is a rule for somebody who plans to clean up the game on the next turn and decks with pernicious deed can't clean up the game the next turn. 
Yeah, right? well, let's be honest. Okay, one, right, so, one, obviously an exaggeration, but two, yeah, like, but like two, like I am obsessed with it, and like the whole point is just to, it's fine. It's just you a tempo, three like stealing roles, tempo, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, so uh, caffeinated is obsessed with like using his instance, his instance, right? Just like, oh well, I really didn't like what you were saying, Tom, about being man efficient because then I lose the option of <laughs> the instance. Like, well, Tom is the closest to right, right? And so. Uh, a, like as a general rule, so I'm bad about this. This is like, if you look at somebody's, everybody has different things that are wrong with their game. I, I am, I am like, I read an article in 1997 that said you will win more if you tap all your mana every turn. And I, I ran with it. Right. So, um, so I'm bad about that, but on average, it's just better to use your removal when you have control of the most variables and you have control of the most variables on your own turn. So here's just the easiest example. If you use an instant speed removal on your opponent's turn, instead of using instant speed removal on your own turn, you might be foiled by a giant growth, right? Like, so my opponent is attacking, right. like, lightning bolt this, they might giant growth you. Not only do you not get the removal to have happen, but now you're going to get an extra three damage. Right, right? but this is, this is like, the, you need to like bring, bring this down to earth because... The giant growth hasn't been played in a constructive okay, format. When I, like so forever, when I say right? a giant growth, there's like a lot of things that might happen. So I played in a modern PPTQ once, right? And all day, uh, this guy was coming off a Grand Prix top eight, right? He was just like, I can't wait to play against you and Roman with my Death Shatter deck. And I'm like, I've never lost a Death Shatter in my life, right? And he's just like, I can't wait. We got paired in the round of eight. How many games do you think this match went? I, I don't, don't, quit playing went games, Mike. We, we, we know. Yeah, okay. We know. Okay, okay, right? And so one of the things that happened was he attempted to use his engineered explosives to kill my Eidolon of the Great Revel on my turn during combat. I cast the card Boros Charm, gave all of my creatures indestructible, which was not on his bingo card, and he picked up his cards because he's just like, that wasn't on my bingo card. Can't beat your Eidolon now. I'm like, yeah, you probably should have done that on your own turn. Um, that's just an example of like, yeah, but that's like charm, right? Like, yeah, there are, I mean, opponent people are using things off label that you didn't think of. Yeah. I mean, this is true, but there's also like, you just like, this is always part of the calculation, right? So like, you know, one important facet of this, like, um, like it's actually really hard to come up with an example in pre-modern because pre-modern doesn't really have like interesting effects. So, so your opponent made a mistake simply because there's no reason not to, because there's no card that you would play that's a permanent for two mana before your combat phase, right? There's literally no card in your entire deck. Your opponent should know this. You wouldn't run out a second revel before your attack step. So your opponent knows this, so they should always be blowing the explosives on their on their main phase. So this the, the second interesting thing, and this, this actually happens every single game in pre-modern, is like, when do you bolt your opponent's Ragavan? Your opponent goes turn one Ragavan, you go turn two, you have a bolt in your hand. Do you bolt on your main phase? Do you bolt on your opponent's being in combat? No, so, I bolt whenever I think that I can resolve killing the Ragavan. So because if the, one of the me, ways I can lose is being hit by a Ragavan. I'll, I'll explain. So Yeah, they might have another Ragavan that they dash. Exactly, exactly. So they might have another Ragavan they dash, but also recently... There's there's this card called Not Already Dead or whatever that revives the Ragavan from a bolt. So now there's like a double punish for uh, now there's a punish for not bolting on your turn. So it used to be like you you would never get punished for waiting till begin combat to bolt, um, so that you could always ensure against the dash Ragavan, the second no, dash Ragavan. Completely. But now, incorrect. but now the what, likelihood of the opponent the, the opponent has twice as many outs 
because they could spell Pierce or um, they could spell Pierce or uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I would whatever the other like one casting yeah, 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 is yeah, on yeah. their turn. In addition to a bunch of other things. I mean, like, it depends on the Ragavan deck, right? So, like, obviously, uh, I'm just saying, like, I, I don't know. I mean, they I have know. a much lower likelihood of having a second Ragavan that they can dash there than having than having a counter spell or a setup card like a Thoughtseize into. I mean, I, I, like, like, I don't really care about if I get Thoughtseize, right? But like a Thoughtseize into a permission spell, which is like they could set up a really favorable thing. I mean, or you could like get an advantageous removal uh, uh, interaction that doesn't work very well in your opponent's turn when their mana is untapped. There's a lot of reasons why this is wrong, but I'll give you a really, a really simple pre-modern one that came up similar to um, a match that Fran showed in his top eight, right? Like imagine you could kill 12-12 on your turn, right? Or you would wait until your opponent's turn. Right, he was like, "Oh, I'm going to wait till my opponent's turn." No, one of the one of the reasons why you wouldn't do that is because they get a draw step, right? If they get a draw step, and then all of a sudden they go like pre-combat, they play a mountain that wasn't there before. <laughs> you might get flinged, right? Like, it's like it's just so much better if well, you're going to oh yeah. if you get a removal to do it when you have more control. This is this is like so ineffective. Like, I understand. But that, but you're like the, the the point is that you have to you actually just have to make the decision based on like based on like you based on the board right. So the yes, dreadnought thing, the dreadnought thing is like the dreadnought thing is just super well trodden. Anybody who plays this format should understand that like you're playing around counter spell, vision charm, foil days, right? So like the your read on what your opponents have in in that scenario are like are like entirely going to decide on whether or not you uh, do the dread, like you, you attack the dreadnought or you try to remove the dreadnought on your turn, their turn, you take a hit, you do it on their end step, you get to untap, like all these things matter. Like well, it depends in, on how much, how much follow-up you have. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So like if you have a seal of cleansing in your hand and the mana to cast it, you have a much greater incentive to try to kill the dreadnought immediately because if they, if they have a foil or they have, you know, whatever they're going to stop you with, you might be able to just follow up with the seal of cleansing immediately and kill it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this but is like, this is like too this is like too comp complex to 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 no, go no, down no, to. No, it's not too complex. Because... All of us have baseline rules that like, and that we iterate against those baselines. But my rule, my rule is to see if my opponent has mana. Like, do I have mana for days? Is to get the most value you can out of a. No, it's to remove. The, if that means getting brained. You're gonna get it's, brained. It's remo it's to remove the dreadnought. Like, I don't have a rules for dreadnoughts because it's like first, does my opponent have one mana, one or two mana, or four mana untapped? Right. Does my opponent have like whatever cards in hand? Like, you know, if they have mana on my turn, then I might as well pass to their upkeep to do anything because if their counter spell and vision charm is in their range, at least vision charm buys me a turn of attack. Exactly. So like all of these things, and you know, with seal cleansing, you're like, oh well, now all of a sudden stifle and vision charm and a null interacts with me. And like sometimes days interacts with me, and sometimes I need to set up taking 12 so that I can do stuff on answer. Anyways, my point like this is not a good example. You have not convinced me that I'm wrong about anything. Like I didn't. I'm okay. I'm a great. I, I just, I'm a great heads up magic player that makes good decisions based on on the board in front of me. And one of the good decisions that I tend to make is not blowing up my whole board with pernicious deed on my main phase okay. ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking about just ragging on Tom for making a mistake. I'm talking about there are general rules. 
And I think that of the three of you, I think Tom was the closest. They're story. so, but they're so useless, right? Like at the okay. No, we all start with here's, baseline, here's the most right? important. Like, here's the most important thing I said in the last two weeks of Michael J. Free podcast, which is people don't know why they do anything in a game of magic. Oh, they, that's for sure. They people literally don't know why they do anything for any reason. Exactly. They don't know why they do something in life. Like this is just a fact of life. Like they only think about it. They only act, like actually actually think about it if somebody's asked them after it's happened, and after it's happened, it's too late. It's like why why do you friends who describe a situation as oh it just happened when they when they uh, describe like an unexpected hookup with somebody or just like oh it just happened, those things never just happen, right? Like the other person engineered that situation. If you think that it just happened, right? This is hilarious to me. Like every time it's just, Oh, you know, it's just, just happy. He just came over and it's, you know, it just happened. All right. <laughs> it didn't just happen. I'm going to cut you off there before you say yep. something cancelable. Um, uh, what's cancel? I'm just, I don't know. I'm, I'm stopping you. I'm stopping you. I'm, I'm stopping you. I don't know what's cancelable. Younger people. It's not going to, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen yet, okay. but it could happen. I'm just stopping you. <laughs> I got canceled. It just happened. <laughs> it just, anyways, my point is um, you make a play. Uh, like, okay. I mean, pretty classic. Like, you know, we rag on Tom, but like Tom, I don't rag on Tom. You apparently repeatedly rag on Tom for a really narrow number of mistakes that he's ever made. It's, it's super unfair to Tom, but I, I don't, don't do that. But, Dude. um, but no, no, I mean like, uh, I'll rag on myself. Right. So like, let's, uh, like, uh, I didn't pay for the mana leak. Yeah. I mean, that's well, it was I egregious. I should have been. Anyways, we make plenty, we make plenty of mistakes that, um, we sort of like, or, or, or it's not even mistakes. We make like, well, sometimes you'll make the right play for like the wrong reason. Right. Or just like no reason. Anyways, like my point is like, um, what, like, I don't know. I, I don't know how to encapsulate this because I've actually been thinking about this a lot, which is just that like, do you, I'll ask you this question, Michael J. Do you ever have a turn, like a sequence, like a moment in time in your like game of magic, right? You're just like playing, you're playing the rock, right? You've got a few cards in hands and you literally do not know what to do. Like you just, you literally don't know what to do. Especially with the rock. Like your cards are all random. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like, like I'll give you a really easy example. Like when I was playing against Jared in like, uh, I think playing for top, top eight of the Saturday tournament at LobsterCon. In game one, I drew all four of my duress. I still made a game of it, right? But like, I would draw a duress and I'd be like, should I cast this duress or not? Yeah. Right, like the duress doesn't have a lot of text, but it might get a naturalize. Like what are the chances he has a naturalize? So I just don't know. <laughs> yeah. Cast this duress. So this is, this is actually, like, this is something that I wanted to run by, uh, you know, run by Sam because I wanted to, I wanted to see if you could reduce a like uh you know this thing that i've been saying this entire time just like a uh, tact tactical deck strategy strategy deck like what if the the goal for the decks that uh you know certain players like is to build a deck where they're never in a position where they don't know what to do um that is impossible no 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 but but like not, I mean, like as much as possible, right? So, like, so, I, so I, let's, let's, I, let's. I thought about this specific thing, okay? And well, let me, let me addendum and then, and then I'll let what you. What is the perfect magic card from the perspective of what you just said? There is a Thought perfect seize. magic card. No. Yes. Thoughtseize is terrible. Wandering Eye. 
No, the perfect magic card is Lava Spike. You yeah, 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 Lava Spike is okay. Lava Spike is a great example. Okay, okay. it is. But Thoughtseize is what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, it's not. Thoughtseize is terrible. You might kill yourself. The number of times people Thoughtseize and a clever player engineers it so that they just take damage is actually non-zero. No, no, right? that's that's not what I'm people talking about. Still manage to screw up Lava Spike. Like, and I see them screw up Lava Spike over and over. If you can't, if you can't get Lava Spike right in a deck of twenty Lava Spikes, this the thing that you're aspiring to is not achievable. Well, okay. And when I said something was mathematically impossible, it's obviously not mathematically impossible. It's super unlikely. Okay, right? let me let me let me try to focus on what I'm trying to say. Like, so, um. What one thing that came up? What did you think about my comparison of Parfait, Burn, and Dreadnought being all decks that really appeal to me strategically? Uh, I think that uh, that makes sense to you, right? Because all three of those decks have sub games, and the sub game is if I achieve this, uh, like if I just turn this corner, right, and that this corner has a particular flag on it. That is either a proxy for a win for me, or I enter the next sub game and I know what to do in the next sub game. Yeah. So, so, so this is actually are, great. So those are, those decks have those things in common. The rock has no such sub. Game, exactly. Exactly. Right? So let me, so let me, let me tell you what I think about what you just said. What you just said is exactly what I'm saying. All three of those decks, I, I am never or very rarely unclear on what to do next. Right. Like, based on what's in my hand, what my opponent has, what deck my opponent is playing. It's just always clear. Like people are always like, Oh, parfait. So many decisions. You cast enlightened tutor and it's you always for, and, Oh, and you can choose. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. It's just like, no, you're, you're, there's three cards that'll win you the game right now. One of them is oath the druids and the other is land tax or scroll like, rack. And dark, some of the time, land tax, some of the time, you get oath. It's really not hard. And sometimes it's ivory tower and, or is there an orb is waiting? But it's just like yeah, it's just like oh, you know which lock piece goes next. Yeah, it's super sequential. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that is hilarious. Yeah, but isn't that like a perfect example of like exactly what I'm saying? It's just like so I think that parfait or like sandblack gush tax and like those decks are very prone to making errors, but not strategic errors. Yeah, yeah. kinds of errors that you would make are just like. I forgot to use my scroll rack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot that there was a Sylvan library. I grabbed, I grabbed one more. I yeah, like grabbed I one extra land. For the wrong number of cards, yeah. right? Like those are the errors you make because there's like so many stack opportunities and a lot of the stuff is literally mechanical. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like how many cards do I pick up? How many cards do I so, pick up? So, so you're prone to error, but you're like, you're not prone to strategic errors. Exactly. So, so this is this is um, and who else? I think this is really funny. Yeah. So who else? You name one other Magic player who is a big fan of the archetypes: Parfait, Stifle Knot, and Burn. Stifle Knot, Parfait, and Burn. Well, actually, two other players. Well, I, I don't know how much. So Aaron Dix would could, is Shea? potential Rich Shea. Dr. Yeah. Rich Shea feels exactly the same way that I do, that these are all decks that just make sense to him. So one thing that we applaud Rich Shea on is his, you know, ability to make extremely sharp decisions, like, you know, in, in ways that many other people wouldn't consider. But like, he's still like the, the, the thing he's doing 
when he selects his deck and sleeves up for the game is actually still the same thing that I do, just not as not as not as sharp, right? Not as acutely, which is just putting him already like putting himself in a position where he knows what to do with his opening hands. He like he knows what to do, and like this is the case. Like I don't know, like you would say this, like oh, that's like a linear deck thing, and in in many senses, yeah, these three decks are like are, are linear, but there's something about like the type of magic player that's gonna um you know that's gonna like play siphonot versus the type of ma- magic player that's gonna play the rock or land still so let me can i segue this this is like a little after 2005 this is around 2006 that this happened right so 2004 2005 is the cutoff of pre-modern right yeah so around 2006 i was the best deck designer in the world right so the um and i felt like there was a fight between me and R D. And the reason that I felt like there was a fight between me and R&D is because they told me there was. <laughs> okay? So Aaron didn't like that I would come up with new decks. For like the world, Yeah, Foresight. For like the world championships or for whatever thing I happened to be playing in states, a PTQ, that no one had ever seen before and had no bad matchups. And I did it over and over again. Right? So like... I would just like, but the problem is I just didn't choose enough or as good enough bullets. So I had like a lot of people who were like, they would lose for the top 16 of the world championships instead of winning, you know, Andre won in 2009. Right. But, but like, you know, critical mass, juicy blue. I made this wildfire deck that had no bad matchups that locked every deck out and drew infinite cards. And no one had ever seen it before the world championships. It was, it was loony. Right. So Aaron shows me this card when I'm like there for the pro tour booth, which was spell snare. And he said, I'm trying to make cards so that other people get to play, right? And I'm like, what do you mean by that? He's just like, you solve the matchup before the tournament starts. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I do, right? Like, that's like, I love doing that, right? Like, that's where I, where I geeked out, right? So he's like, but it's bad for everything, right? It's bad for coverage. The commentator doesn't understand how the deck works. I'm like, that's not my fault, right? Like, it's bad. It's like, it's not predictable, right? So he literally was just like, I didn't realize this because I was friends with a lot of people in R&D, but maybe that was the dawn of fire design. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) I ruined it for myself. A year later, there was Bitter Blossom, right? And I hate Bitter Blossom. It's my least favorite magic card of all time. So... Lorwyn, huh? Yeah, so the thing is that I think that this is very different from what you're saying right like i was never that interested in like getting to a sub game i wanted to imagine all of the things that could happen and figure out a way to beat all of them right so this is but this is actually this is something i solved it before the tournament started but this is something that you've you might have said before which is that you have this belief that if you are sufficiently prepared for certain combinations, like certain combinations of things like that's like a form of magic intellect, right? Like I've been in the situation before type intellect. It it doesn't fit in pre-modern very well, but it it historically fit in other competitive formats prior to prior to fire design, probably. Right. So it doesn't fit now because who goes first is so important. And like the cards just snowball. Right. Like, so you could be the best prepared person in the world. You can't beat your opponents two drop, right. three drop if they have enough, if they have enough material and they went first. But, but I, I mean, I but like, but like, yeah, this is like the Batman archetype, right? If you have sufficient information and sufficient preparation and sufficient time, right? So I used to play, I, I don't know what they call it because I used to play a lot of moto. I know that's probably surprising to you because. No, I know. I know. They... So like, I just remember this one night Aaron was watching me play, right? So I was playing green, white, mid range deck. 
and my opponent and I was just like locks it on like Uma's always Jitte locks it on hierarch etc because uh, those are the cards in 2006 I know we have the cutoff in 2004 2005 and pre-modern right and then so it looks like I'm gonna lose and then I like and I uh I give Sun Given for uh both Siju uh Busiju uh Life from the Loam and um and uh I don't something else that like lets me get my Busiju back with Life from the Loam and then I hard cast Enduring Ideal with uh with Besiege so my opponent can't counterspell out of it. And then I proceed to lock them out with like Dovescape Form of the Dragon yeah, yeah. in my green white mid-range deck, right? He's just like, well, I did not expect that to happen. I'm like, yeah, because I figured out all the angles. <laughs> I figured out if this happens, I am going to now do this thing. And it's uncounterable. Right? Like, so um the thing is that you can't do that in pre-modern. One of the original mistakes that I made in pre-modern was I love red, white slide, right? Like everybody knows that about me. I love red, white slide. The reason I love red, white slide is because I thought the best decks when I first started pre-modern were land still, mono red, and elves, right? And those were them. Like those decks seem like the best decks. We tested a bunch of goblins was good, right? But like land still, mono red, and elves, that was like the top of our hop, right? We tested a lot. I'm like these are the three best decks. We actually were just going to play mono red because it was good against elves and land still. Then one night I said, Pog, let's try this red white deck. This deck looks terrible, right? It doesn't do anything interesting. Crushes mono red, crushes elves, crushes land still. So I came to the conclusion that this was just the best deck. The problem was if everybody was just going to play the best decks that, you know, did the best at the Easter championship, did the best on paper, then red right really would have been the best deck. But Jeff Ferris taught me a harsh lesson, which was that some yahoos just cataclysm you. <laughs> And there's no way out of it, right? So your red white deck doesn't have any counter spells, right? So you can't do this in pre-modern because there's just too much random stuff. Like if you're playing against a deck that's just like portent, gush, you know, active, you know, activate this, activate this, and, like, and you've just got a sword of plowshares in your hand, and then all of a sudden there's a form of the dragon in play, you'd be like, oh wait, I have the wrong answer for this problem. I'm gonna die to this form of the dragon. <laughs> Right, that's the thing that can happen pre-modern it's way way harder to predict uh and so you, you just have to use a different paradigm you can't imagine the whole format it's impossible yeah it's too many well i mean i don't know unless you're unless you're playing parfait <laughs> i mean Whereas, you're playing parfait you you love your meddling mage 12 12 de- uh 12 12 matchup i mean i don't love it but um pretty like typically a kid off the street who's never played before can just take you in the- <laughs> <laughs> as far yeah. as i can tell <laughs> no that's absolutely true um I, I i didn't love it but i had a plan right like so one thing one thing that i got criticism over was like um was like oh like uh, uh landsill someone was like oh landsill beats parfait i'm like well not if you burning wish for Decree of Annihilation. <laughs> I don't and think that Lance still beating Parfait was that mathematical. I mean, we had a playtest game. In yeah, the, yeah, it, it was at least the, close. In the Michael J's basement playtest session where I beat your first seven land taxes 
and the eighth land tax got me. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, um, just got me. But anyway, so somebody was just like, oh, you know, like uh, Parfait was always like weak to the weak to this. And I was like, actually, like, this is what we would do if they did this. But and then, I think that and then somebody and then somebody messaged like somebody replied to that. And then they're like, oh, like this deck is totally answerable and shouldn't be banned. And then it's like, we also have a plan for every bad situation. And I was just kind of like, well, yeah, I'm not going to let I'm not going to take it lying down. Like people don't complete games. Right. So remember I said that you like these decks that have sub games, right? So they take the sub game as a proxy for a win. It's like, okay, this, this is now a bad matchup because I achieved the sub game. They don't realize there's a whole rest of the game to finish. Yeah. I mean, this is actually, this is actually super interesting because you brought up the red white deck. One of the most interesting things about the red white deck is like maybe the red white deck is actually really good at winning these sub games like against elves or, or, um, you know, Lancel or whatever. Um, but like it might actually, not play out that way because you just give your opponent time and your opponent can eventually adapt to you. Or like one time we played a testing game where I'm like, I cast Armageddon against Lancel. I was playing Parfait. I cast Armageddon against Lancel and I was like, or this was actually a sweet moment because I'm playing against Jordan where at Davis, you're watching, right? Like I draw the card for the turn and it's Armageddon and I have like a Mox Diamond and three lands in play and opponent just Let's has go. like <laughs> four lands in play. And I'm just like, well, he's tapped out. So I'm going to get this Armageddon in, but also I'm not getting that much value out of my Armageddon. He could just like play lands and like, yeah, come but you back. can win it. You can win at low resource. It's way harder for him to win at low resource. Right. But I didn't even cash that many lands. Um, so we were like, so like Jordan was just like, okay. And then he put his lands in his graveyard and then we played like another, like a million turns of magic until I got tired. And we like, didn't, we didn't, we didn't like figure out a winner of that game. I was just like, okay, I'm bored now. So, so, uh, let me, let me try to like bring it back for a sec. I think that the people who think that elves is winnable from the red white side just haven't played against good enough red white opponents, right? Like red white's really good at closing games. Uh, and um, on the other hand, uh, I think that when you play the rock against elves and the rock achieves the sub game of summoning engineered plague and clears the elves side that people have the wrong idea about this game because elves is going to win this game. Right. And the, like, and people think that the rock wins because they've they've achieved the sub game, right? So um, that's uh, you know the reverse. Yeah, I mean it's like I think it's like uh, I mean it's an interesting like view. I I would say that like when I was referring to. I mean, you can always evaluate in this, but I was like, I was like referring to burn. Um, I think what's like nice about you know burn is just that like okay like. I don't know that it like it just like it just like makes sense to me in a way that um, I watched a ton of games like Pog was playing some or like Aaron or Aaron's friends were playing. So I watched a ton of games at LobsterCon where one player was Landstill and one player was Burn and then the Landstill player got the card, uh, got the card uh, Circle of Protection Red in play in a sideboarding game. And I watched and I would just chuckle to myself and I'm just like, the burn player would just like slog through a few turns before eventually conceding. And I was just like, I would have won. Yeah, this yeah, game. of course. Yeah. Right. Like, like, like it actually, actually was really easy. That's and actually, like, that's actually one of the interesting things though, because that's like a pretty good example of like, I don't know. It's like once, once the cop red isn't play, right. It's just like, it becomes very clear what you need to do from the burn side. It's just like, well, like I'm just going to do exactly this. Like these, these, these decks like are so good at adapting to a script. And it was so interesting because I was playing, I was playing uh, obviously the miracle grow Mangucci teamer triad deck in modern. And I just punted 
Well, I mean, obviously, like modern, like whatever. It's I don't complicated. Really, yeah, it's complicated. Yeah, it's complicated. But the the one thing that was like, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, but it was just like so simple, like where I was just like, okay, like um, the range of things that could happen to me are too large, right? So, like, uh, you know, one example was I'm like, oh, I tap down mana when I should like hold up a counter spell, right? So, like this this like decision, pretty pretty classic decision, but it's like you know, one of those things where it's like, okay, well, do I want to develop my board? Like what's the biggest punish that my opponent can have? And like, um, or like I countered the wrong thing. My opponent straight up did the Michael J to me where they like, where I countered the bait spell on end step. And, <laughs> and like, I just did it. Then the next three spells resolved. No, the next one spell. So my opponent end stepped Orcish Bowmasters. I'm like, okay. Like, I don't know, maybe I had a Legend Shredder, maybe I had like a Preordain in hand. I was like, okay, I don't want this Orcish Bowmasters resolve. And then my opponent, but I had like one mana up and I had a, I had a, a spell pierce uh, in my hand. Yeah. So I, I had seen the one ring from my opponent's deck. My opponent's deck is playing Yogmoth. I don't know if Yogmoth plays the one ring. So I was like, well, if I, I counter every deck can play, the yeah, one. every deck can play one ring. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm covered on this bone masters. I don't want it on the battlefield. I didn't have a burn spell. Like I had a burn spell for Michael J. I just refused to use it on your end step. Once again, tapping man on my, on my opponent's turn would have been so much better than tapping man on my end step. <laughs> But apparently this is a heuristic you can't follow. <laughs> anyways, um, I guess I have to explain that one to the listeners after. But anyways, uh, I countered the Bowmasters. I'm like, okay, I'm covered on the one ring, but they they untapped and they played Yawgmoth. And like, I didn't have, you know, a one mana counter spell for Yawgmoth. And I don't even know if it was a mistake. Like, and then there was like another thing where I'm like, okay, I'm at one life. My opponent's on zero cards. Like one of the things I'm dead to is Bowmasters, but I don't have a Bowmasters uh, open anyway. So I'd rather end this game sooner and tap out. And like, you know, my opponent might not run you a bow masters to, into open mana you have to pick you have to pick an axis yeah right? but like, here's the thing so is like this is it's the, thing, so... the thing you were saying before like you had no sub game to achieve yeah i was like so i have no idea axis. what to do well, no, I, okay so i did pick i did actually do what i do which is like i default to the most aggressive play possible i'm like okay well i'm dead to a few ranges so the best thing that i can do is reduce the number of draw steps my opponents have and that tends to be what i do and i don't spend enough time that's not a bad that's not a bad it's not a bad about it. it unless you're a parfait player yeah well that's well, true. <laughs> parfait player sounds like a terrible way to play um but uh but it became i don't know like obviously this was like a, a post uh po like whatever i i knew all the information so like it was like so sad where I was just like, well, my bobble draw can draw me a counter spell. That's one mana. The answer is bow masters. My only one mana counter spell is spell snare, but that was the card that I would have drawn off bobble if I kept mana open. Anyways. Uh, so, so let me pause you for a second. Uh, Patrick Chapin, who was the first ever R and D intern, right. And uh, Eric, Eric Lauer, the arguably the greatest tech designer of all time, who is the lead developer at R and D. Although I don't know if you ever see his work anymore uh, as they manifest into uh uh, manifest into magic cards in 2023 uh once explained to me uh an interview question about how to get into r&d this is back when they were hiring people who were the caliber of patrick chapin versus i don't know who they're hiring now um and the uh they're hiring abe corrigan shout out yeah abe they are hiring abe corrigan. I, so he's not going to be uh playing pre-modern next to us on friday nights anymore no so, he, that's um, the only format he, oh no because he's gonna be in seattle yeah but he is allowed so, to play pre-modern. He he's allowed not allowed to play, to play anything else. <laughs> so, uh, they, so this question, I actually would have gotten it wrong, right? But it changed how I think about things. And what they're trying to do is figure out if they could hire for somebody who had a really expansive way of thinking. 
right? So the question, and so uh, Eric is a graduate background in mathematics, just so you know, right? So I, I think he might have his doctorate in mathematics. Um, and the question is about like, describe the biggest number, right? And so I said something snide, like I would just describe the number eight and then I would knock it down on its side, right? Like that was the biggest number, right? So Chapin described how he described the biggest number on the way to getting into, um, getting into his internship. Yeah. So there's these towers of servers, right? Like enormous, they have a real thing, right? And like, maybe there's like 128 servers in these towers at the time, right? And that like, so there's 100 of these, and then you have 128 of those stacked into the server. And then you have those, and then they're just all next to each other. And like each one of these servers can hold this much information, right? And it's, he's just lavishly talking about how many of these server towers that there are and how many bytes they can, they can describe in ways that are like, it's not infinity, right? But of like, what is the limit of how much a human can describe? Like how big a number is that a human can, can describe? So it's really changed the way that I think about how you would describe things or more like expansively how you can imagine things. Right. And so it's really interesting to me, like the way that you've described some of these game situations, which is that, uh, and also I think it is similar to um, how I would approach my opponent casting a circle of protection. I'm sorry, uh, you know, circle of protection red, if I'm playing red deck, right. And like what resources I have, because it challenges you to imagine the situation of like how you're going to encompass these things where you are on the wrong side of the resources, right? But you still have to find a path to victory. And that like, if you have a big enough imagination, you can imagine, you know, the nooks and crannies that you can fit through in order to get there. Um, but if you don't, like, you end up having really non-specific strategy, which I think is the thing that you are saying, oh, I have a really non-specific strategy. It's my general heuristic is X, right? Versus if you have to beat a circle, just like, okay, my, what are the limitations of the situation, right? My opponent has a certain number of lands. Yeah. How many of those lands are flooded strands, right? How many cards do I have in hand? How many cards do I actually have to get through in order to beat the circle, right? They don't have, they don't, if they land a circle with 40 life, it's going to be pretty hard to win, yeah, yeah, right? If they have a circle with 10 life, hmm. Yeah. We can and if you have win. some creatures in play, yeah, some pups, you know, yeah. right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's what keeps me up at night right now is just like trying to understand, um, like, I, it really bothered me, honestly, like, I, I was so unnerved by, like, because it's happened to me before, it, it actually it happens to me a lot playing Replenish, funnily enough, um, where, um, and, and obviously you saw that live when I was playing Replenish against, um, against Rache, where like, I just literally could not come up with a plan. Like I couldn't come up really? with a, a sequence. I, I literally could. I mean, I, I know it's, I know it's astounding to you, but to me, it was like, it's about four things. The first one is land management, right? How do I accomplish whatever the next three things are that I have to do without blowing up my city of freighters? Yeah, right? Right. <laughs> That's one. Like one is land management, right? So the questions I would ask myself are, you know, is my opponent a counterspell deck and am I under a clock, right? Those are the next two things. There's only four things. Well, okay. So let me, let me just stop you right there. Yeah. I don't struggle with, I don't struggle with those moments where it's very clear, right? So what you're describing is like pretty sim simple. Like if I know my, my opponent's deck has counterspells, then they also, they have reverse circle of protection, right? 
they have X lands and X cards in hand. So we can play the same game that burn does where it's like, well, well, circle versus burn is just like, I need seven mana for seven burn spells. Right. So similarly, I need seven test spells for seven counter spells. Right. So, um, any of them get through, you get them. Right? Exactly. That's right. The, right. Yeah. That's the idea. So I don't struggle with playing, uh, replenish against counterspell decks. In fact, I think that I'm quite good at playing replenish against counterspell decks, like at large, like I think that I have a pretty decent rate against land still. And then, you know, of course, Sam Black's a much better player than some of my counterspell uh, based opponents, uh, you know, where he feels confident that he would never lose to me with a counterspell deck against my replenish deck. Um, but yeah, I, like, earlier today, I beat Stasis with replenish. Um, yeah, I feel like I, uh, I, I beat those kind of decks with replenish all the time when I was playing it a lot last year, and I don't think I should have. Right, right. <laughs> like it's just maybe that's what Ev from Ev from Vancouver is saying because yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like I mean, yeah, I figure out how to get there. Right. Usually, the paradigm is using your life as a resource. Right. So you, this is a mistake that you make. You go so fast, which is one of the advantages you have. You are so much more aggressive on average than I am. It gives you an edge against people who don't have their their defenses up yet. And then you take your foot off the accelerator. All of a sudden, Mr. Intuition for three deep analysis is scared to close the freaking deal. Right. You're going to go that fast. You have to risk slam against the wall at 100 miles an hour, because if you don't, they're the one that gets splattered. Yeah. But you you do it over and over again. You get like 97% of the way there. You're like, I need to pick my foot up off the accelerator. I was going too fast. Well, no, no I mean, that's finish why... it. You're going to end up losing because you gave him a window. Right. I mean, it's like, uh, obviously, it's more complicated than that because those deep analysis actually kill you, like, basically, right? Faster than your opponent's deck. Yeah, because... <laughs> Because you actually tap your ancient tomb for those yeah, every you turn, and you also frantic search, which uh, is you minus four life. Um, so basically, I got into a position where I was like, okay, yeah. So that specific turn, right? I was, I literally was like, if I deep analysis here because I didn't have my land drop. If I deep analysis like for my land drop, like I will, um, like I'm gonna take five damage, and then like pitch a card to clean up or whatever. It was like I'm just like I'm gonna avoid tapping ancient tomb for like deep analysis until I have a sequence in my mind where like I'm at seven life and I tap ancient tomb three times over two, two turns or whatever. But anyways, it's I, I like I, I, it's so interesting because like these moments for me are like, I don't even actually know how to improve. I mean, obviously I should do the obvious thing, which is like record, record myself playing and like actually break down these moments and like figure out if I can understand like a line through or figure out if I make a mistake. Cause one of the things is that I'm actually already, I've slowed down. I'm pretty fast with decks that I'm very comfortable with obviously, but I've slowed down a lot as a player. So playing this Mangucci deck, I had like, you know, very little time left on the clock, uh, on my magic clock, uh, magic online clock at very many of these points. And I actually like, didn't stop myself to like build my decisions just because I felt like I'd like I, I had the, I mean, I, I actually was slow playing. Right. So if it was a paper game, I got, I would get to a point where I'm like, I thought about this enough. I don't know what to do next. 
so I'm just going to do this. Like, I'm just going to tap my mana. Like, I'm just going to, uh, I'm just going to like put a creature on the table and not leave up a counter spell because I don't know what I'm trying to counter and like, whatever, like granted, I always leave up a counter spell if my opponent has zero cards in hand and I, I have counter spell. Right. But like, um, but yeah, like it's it, I, so often, um, or not so often, but like, uh, it, it frustrates me to no end actually putting myself in positions with certain decks where like, I don't know what I did wrong. Um, I don't know how to choose the right I'll thing give to you do. Some serenity. Okay. <laughs> I can give you some serenity right here. Okay. Which heuristic is right. Fortune favors the bold or fools rush in. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, yeah, they're both right sometimes. Okay, so <laughs> I'll tell really you which one I use. <laughs> it's really hard to know in the moment, right? Yeah. So I can just tell you, I, I've had the fortune of being able to learn from and play with literally the greatest players of all time, right? And Bob Maher is so tentative in closing out a game compared to, compared to John Finkel, right? John Finkel would rather end the game in a draw than give his opponent the opportunity to maybe win, right? He's, he will, he's just pedaled to the floor if he sees an open, right? Um, and so a lot of the stuff that I've kind of internalized, which is that like suboptimal play is often correlated with giving your opponent too much time comes from that from John. And John would just be like, did you see what I did there? Did you see what I did there? Right? Like it would have been better to this. The game was close, but I ended up winning. And this is why, right? Bob is like, I, I think that you would love how Bob plays, right? Like Bob builds a layer of armor with every draw step and his likelihood of winning becomes ever, ever more certain with every second that goes by, right? He builds to a pinnacle of absolute certainty and he takes his time picking his opponent apart and really enjoying the delicious flavor of the body parts that he's chewing on on the way on the way down to that 20. And he he thinks like, look, if I have a slight advantage and I can protect the queen, why should I extend? Like that's really how Bob thinks about it, right? And like I shouldn't extend. I'm going to win this game, right? I'm going to put the onus on my opponent to draw out of this. They're very different from each other. But I can tell you this. If they're under pressure, I bet both of them end up conforming to the same play patterns because they're good, right? Right. But all of us have default tendencies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's actually, I think I need to... Um, the thing that I'm talking about, I think, is I, I need to build better intuition for for just choosing. Um, like if if two if I can't discern between two lines, let, let's just use this paradigm of a more aggressive or more conservative line. I need to get better at at. I mean, I guess exactly what you said, which is just committing to a more aggressive or more conservative line rather than doing a blended approach. Where like this is pretty classic, right? Where you're just like, okay. Um, uh, I mean, there's so many, so I am proud of myself and also embarrassed at my, um, uh, so I'm proud because this is an example of which I did this correctly. So my game against Jared Doucette, I have the game completely locked up, right? He has a bunch of goblins in play. Uh, I have Shard Phoenix and I have Ancestors Chosen, right? And I'm attacking Jared for two every turn. And at some point, 
I can give Jared one less draw step, not that it matters, and I can yeah. pop my Shard Phoenix, <laughs> and I can attack for four. But, but instead, I'm like, well, Jared can play Pyrokinesis out of his sideboard. It's open deck list, right? I was like, it's not gonna happen. I was like, I was like, well, I had dressed him too, so it's like every all the information <laughs> on, is there. Man. And I'm like, well, he's got a red card in his hand. He's got no lands in play. <laughs> I'm like, what if he draws pyrokinesis? Because he just like envisioned exactly this happening and like okay, resets the board. Anyways, discuss this so I, <laughs> so I, I will say something to you. Okay? So I continued just attacking for two until the game was over. Um, and I could have sped up the clock by like three turns if I just like sacrificed Phoenix right away and then just like attacked with. I mean, was there any realistic way out for him? There, I mean, there's so many weird ones because I had Phoenix. He had like Siege Game Commander. So one thing was like, um, is this the game that your chroma was in the sideboard? Yeah. Okay. I don't know, man. This so is disgusting. I hard cast. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I, but I hard cast both my O's creatures and I like Armageddon to keep him off the mana to like okay, activate so, CGA. Yeah, that's the whole thing. This is like people bring this up to me all the time. Just like, hey, did you write this article when? I'm like, yes, you obviously know that I wrote this article, right? Like you were referencing the specifics of it, right? And they're like, yeah, that was interesting. And I'm like, I, I told Bob this game once. I was so proud of how I played. And Bob pointed out to me that I had made a misread on turn two and that the game didn't have to be that hard. Like I, I played. Is this the Aquaman of a game? Because I, yeah. I love, yeah, I, yeah, I played love this. such good resource uh, management to just perfectly get it. Let me, let me, you, do you remember the name of the article? I believe it's called realizing how bad you are. Yeah, I think, yeah, that sounds uh, from like 2000. Yep, yeah. 2004, right? January 30th, 2004. So, uh, oh man. So, you did this on ancestral recall too. Oh, did I? Yeah. I th I'm pretty so sure you I, did. So I, I was so, so, um, what I'm going to get to is like, I think that the skill that you should develop, uh, as I used to work on this personally, right, the skill you should develop is reading your opponent, because if you knew what was actually in your opponent's hand, you would just make the better play more often. Right. So you can actually practice this. And so, uh, I'm going to, yeah, yeah, this, this is, this is like a, so, yeah, yeah, this is a, this is a, uh, uh, exercise, right? So you can yeah. just, you can just force yourself to stop every certain step or every time you cast a card or every draw step and just think to yourself, what does my opponent, what, have? what does my opponent have and what are they trying to represent? Right. Yeah. So the thing is like, I had this matchup I was really, really proud of where I was playing with, I was playing with Pog and Etai, right. And Etai comes in and he's just like, well, everybody knows that blue red murktide beats burn and i'm just like no way like i bet i beat you 80 percent of the time in game one right and then i proceeded to do so in place s right so with no deflecting palms yeah crazy. it's just super easy right and so um so then pogs like let me try right and then i'm just constantly correcting pogs play i'm like okay you're playing into this you're playing to this what you have to do is get him into the situation so you can land all these spells right? which is the thing and so one of the things that i stopped him from doing was attacking with a goblin guy i was just like don't attack with this goblin guy and was like, why and he's just like what do you think is going to happen if you attack with this goblin guy right i didn't realize it until this conversation just really good at reading and uh and so the reason to bring this up is because right now i'm doing a project where rebel son the the commander influencer i'm coaching her right and so she sent me a bunch of vods of her playing burn and one of them, she just sits there and plays, thinks, thinks, thinks about this goblin guide on turn one and is hyper tentative about it. And like 
super like thoughtful. And I'm like, this is the exact situation that I was in with Itai and Pog, where I told Pog not to, not. Yeah. To yeah. I, I love this. Right? So, so, so right? for the, for the listeners, yeah. your blue red opponent, your blue red opponent has a deck that at the time actually contained instant speed, blue spells. Um, yeah, like, some of it include spell pierce and I said yeah. blue spells and then some oh, instant speed, red spells in modern. For those of you who don't know, there's a land that comes into play untapped on turn one. Spire Bluff Canal! That produces both blue and red. And yeah. there's a land that comes in play tapped that your opponent plays 100 copies of via fetch lands called Steam Vents. Yeah. Uh, it comes into play tapped because your opponent is playing Burn. Yep. So, uh, so, for the, the listeners, what does your opponent playing the untapped land on turn one instead of the tapped land most likely tell you? Well, that they have... The, so, it, they're on the play, right? So, it could mean a lot of things. But... Um, but the, anyway, the, my point being is that Rebel ultimately doesn't play the Goblin Guide or Attack Rooms. They did this, this, and this, so I think that this... And I just realized I was just like, I would have been in with the Goblin Guide. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it would have hit, right? Like, that's the thing, I'm like, and it would have hit. I just realized, like, I just know what my opponent has. Right? Like, oh, my and God. so that is... The skill you have to develop. You wrote, you right. wrote like, you wrote like three hundred words about not running the Goblin Guide into open mana. But there and was no unholy heat. That's the thing that I'm trying to get at. I knew my opponent didn't have an unholy heat. I was just watching a vod. I'm like, this Goblin Guide is in. <laughs> Slam it, right? Like, oh, I'm gonna, so, I'm gonna have to see this. This is, this is like, not actionable advice, Mike. <laughs> like, you can't. No, tell I people. just gave you action, actionable advice. Learn how to read your opponents. What? Like your opponent? Their opponent like did all this cantropy shit, right? Just like, it's like, oh, they did all this cantropy shit. That means that they have the answer. I thought I'm it was like, no. I thought they it was... did all this cantropy shit. It means they're looking for the. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, you, you said it was turn one though. It was turn one. They had like, you know. I don't know, like the zero casted cost artifact that draws a car. So they like, they go bobble self, bobble self. I think like canal. two bobbles. Double bobble self canal, and your yeah. read is there's no shot okay. to have the bolt. I'm, I'm in. So the uh, the reason that I would have done it is because like that that guy just sat there for a long time, and I'm just like, we can do a jam jam game, right? So I think Rebel ended up being stuck on two lands. So like this is what ends up what uh, ends up happening is that like. If you don't deploy your mana, you get to a situation in the mid game, which is what happened, where they can start answering your spells one for one, even though you have a natural mana advantage. Yes. And so, like, it's okay to lose the 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 goblin guide here because you just can't you can't exploit the natural advantage of your deck if the if the opponent can answer you one for one. You need to actually deploy stuff and force them to have interaction. So like I don't I think the guide would have gotten in. There's no way to know because yeah, yeah. the guide. Didn't I mean this deploy. is this is but the, like it was actually the things that would have happened later that justify the that justify the yeah, play. I agree with you, and I think this is true, and I think it's interesting, but I also think that it's not actionable advice because what you're talking about is intuition. Like you can explain it. You can be like, well, my opponent went double bobble, so they just don't have the bolt. And so you actually I, don't know that they, I, I wrote about this in the official miser's guide where I was just like, I need to, I need to win. I need to win this round in order to make nationals this year. Right. So I'm playing a deck with, with, um, with, uh, uh, spreading seas, which I guess, I guess it's getting reprinted in the new set. So what I did for a week 
before the before the regional championships was imagine I was playing against Jun for the top eight. And I just kept dealing myself hands that had three Spartan C's. So I would just stack my deck and I just look at my hand like there's three Spartan C's and I just do it over and over and over again. So I'm playing my top eight. If I win this match, I'm going to I'm going to make the top eight. So I deal out my hand and I knew my opponent was Jun. How many Spartan C's were in my hand, Lanny? What? Sure. I just did it for a week. Okay. Help myself three spreading C's hands. And I'm just like, I'm going to be in the situation. This is, where I'm gonna be this playing is another example John. of non-actual advice. I did it. I literally did it for a week. I just dealt myself three spreading C's hands over and over and over again. Right. This is the kind of thing that I do to prepare for tournaments. Right. So, so I agree that a very effective tool for playtesting is to put cards in your hand against your playtesting partner. Right. To see if they matter. Right. Just start with having drawn your sideboard card in your opener, you're just like, okay, like Leyland of the Void is important in the matchup. Should I play four or one or two or three? It's like, let's just start every game with Leyland. How many games do you win if you draw these cards? Exactly, exactly. It's just like, if, if and then if you're playing a deck that gets hosed by Leyland of the Void, you're just like, okay, well, I'm just going to deal myself Nature's Claim. Like, how many times, like, you know, do I win if I have the Nature's Claim? Anyways, so... The reason he why to do that and also give himself Rainbow City of Brass so that he can like cast nice, nice, for perfect. no penalty. <laughs> I mean, I would at least take a mulligan and then put no, the card Rainbow back. Rainbow City of Brass. Anyways, um, City of Brass is Rainbow. Anyways, the reason <laughs> why painless City of Brass. The reason why I think this is not actionable advice, and I think it's just like very, very difficult, is that like pretty often uh, people will put together these like what's the plays? And this actually loops back into my, like, people don't actually know why they do anything. Like people will put together these, like, what the, what's the plays? And I love, I love like, like, you know, there's a check mark. What's the plays are boring. Right. Because it's just like, I have the win. What's the play. Right. And you're just like, okay, well, you know, just there's only one way to win from the spot. So do this. But, uh, a good example of what's the play is like this, the Pablo Suarez, like what's the play from elves. Right. I've got these cards in hand. I have survival of fitness in hand. I did I've got not like whatever. expect that sharpshooter to come down and clean the board. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's stuff like not, that too. That was, That's an aside. Sweet. But, um, I think it's very difficult to teach somebody these like hyper complex. What's the play situations? Um, because one, they're too, like they're, they're, they're too hard to learn from maybe like one is just like, okay, well like your example is like, well, your opponent, crack the bobbles, right? Or they bobble yeah. themselves and then they, they played a non-fetch instead of a fetch, right? Or like whatever. Like these are all bits and pieces of information. And yeah, you can like break it down. You can be like, okay, if my opponent bobbles themselves and they don't fetch, that means they like the top card of their library, right? They probably like a bolt against a goblin guide. Like, but they don't know that. So it was game one on the play. They didn't know that Rebel was on burn. Yeah, I mean, that's th the other thing. Th so that's the other thing. So then your opponent's keep range is different. And then so like the I don't know, like it, it just seems so difficult to me to like pass on this knowledge to, to another person of just being like, hey, so like like you just got to you just got to have the read here. Here's and something like that that is actionable. Right. What if you could develop sub games? Right. That were like, if I do this and this, then I'm now in a different game. Right. So you keep saying that you don't know what to do in certain situations, but maybe you just don't have a wide enough range of imaginable sub games. Right. So I could tell you, like, if I do, if, like, if I look at my opening hand, I'm just like, all right, well, the sub, my current sub game is this. And if I do this twice, that means that the math on the game becomes this. And my opponent has to have this interplay. And since they don't know what my sub game is necessarily, then they're probably just going to lose. 
Um, that's well, okay. So let me actually narrow down what I was saying about myself. So I think actually what I'm bad at is determining my equity in, in a certain play. Right. So the most common mistake in the most common, I guess, learnable mistake is, and, and, uh, I think rebels actually tweeted about this is just like, um, I don't know, something about playing around something. Right. So like you, you have a play that gets punished by your opponent having one thing. Right. Uh, and let's not say, to- let's not include top decks, but like obviously top decks play a role, but like you've got play A, which is punished if your opponent has this and you have play B, which is punished if your opponent has this. And like those things just start off 50, 50, right? Like they can have one or another. Yeah. And then you've got to be like, okay, well, like then you have to multiply it, right? Where it's like, okay, if I, I do I get just, punished, what am I in? What, what puts I me in a better position? realized something. Can I interrupt you? Yeah. Right. I play in my head like there's an additional token in every game of Magic called the initiative, right? So uh, is that actually a thing that white plumes or something get? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll call so it advantage I bar. Playing, <laughs> I have been playing this way for decades, right? Before there was an actual thing called the initiative. Yes. Um, well, there was in D&D, but yes. <laughs> yeah, so there's a thing in like who's the beat down. And so my goal in life is to seize the initiative as quickly as possible and then force my opponent to take the initiative, right? So this happens a lot in limited, right? So yeah. like I have the initiative and then my opponent plays a bigger creature and I no longer have the initiative, right? My opponent removes my creature and plays a bomb rare. They have the initiative, right? Yeah. So one of the reasons why I would make the goblin guide play is um, if it works, I get the initiative and my opponent now has to, f- now has to deal with me having the initiative before playing their game. And if, if they start playing their game and I still have the initiative, they're going to lose. No one can beat burn if burn retains the initiative starting on. Right, right. But this is, this is why it's okay. So now, secondly, if I make this play and they kill my creature, it doesn't mean I've lost the initiative. Just nobody has the initiative, but like the opportunity for me to have the initiative is really, really valuable here because now my opponent might have to use multiple cards in order to get the initiative. And like if my backup play is Eidolon of the Great Rebel, I'm just going to get the initiative right back. Right, right? but that's, so, I mean, that's if you have, I mean, that's all, obviously considering what's in your hand, but like the reason why in three years you said it was so obvious that your opponent has um, has, uh, has a burn spell here because they ran out a Spire Bluff Canal. Like that's all about, that's all about a, a game that burn can play, which, is, which isn't about initiative, isn't about tempo. It's just about using your cards efficiently and ensuring that a Goblin Guide gets in for two damage because eventually they're going to put themselves in a position yeah, where the and, Goblin Guide in gets in. In that game, what ended up happening is we floated a Rift Bolt instead, yeah. right? Which, which was like a proxy for the initiative. We started doing test spells every turn and then they actually had to take action because we can beat them outside of the red zone. They can't beat us outside of the red zone. Exactly. At some point they have to pay, it's like two or more mana to put a creature in play. And that is our signal to unload our grip. Yeah. Right. Including a goblin guy that eventually got in. Exactly. So, right. So, so that's why that I respond to that much more because that's like a pretty, that's something that you can measure right you can look at your hand and you can be like uh like one if you don't have a choice um i I mean there's two things going on here one is just the the bloodthirsty play which is just that if this goblin gets guide gets in you are winning right so even if it's get even if there's a range where it gets bolted the range of it not getting bolted has such a huge payoff that like you know you're just gonna snowball this in a win like uh i was watching mangu play his deck 
Um, and he said the sentence, which I couldn't believe. And, and I realized that is true. Burn actually can't answer or turn one rag van on the draw. Sure. It can with, with the, it, it can, but with just lightning bolt. There's literally no other card in the deck. I mean, yeah, uh, or a blocker or a blocker. Yeah, but a blocker I mean, is bad, right? Blocker because sucks. No, blocker this sucks. is the, yeah. whole, right, right, there's yeah. the whole thing. I wrote an article about this. Yeah, yeah. Blocker sucks. You bolt it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course you bolt it. But that's the thing. It's like, if you don't have the bolt, it's, it is. No, it's not good. It's so bad because you don't have any other card because unlike pre-modern burn, modern burn just has bolt for one mana. Pre-modern burn has bolt shock and seal fire or firebolt. Um, yeah, I mean, there, but it. It, so grades of how bad this is, right? You could float a rift bolt and probably kill it the next turn, right? But yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Sucks. But it right, could so also tag a lightning helix and then it's yeah, over. It's really bad. <laughs> anyway, no, don't get me wrong. Anyway, you should win the roll. So, so the point, yeah, yeah, to, trying to win. But the I haven't started losing to Ragavan deck, so I don't know what to tell you. No, no, no I mean, of yeah, course like, not. I mean, the, the rest of the time, your deck is so stacked against theirs, anyways. Like they literally have to catch that rift, uh, catch that lightning helix with a Ragavan, or it's, else it's bad news. But anyways, like uh, that was a funny aside. Uh, my main point was just that, like, like conceptualizing. I love the reason why I love the three gears. Like the listeners should know. Like I love three gears. Like I wrote an article about the three gears after the three, like from a preview version of the three gears. <laughs> so like I'm obsessed with this article. And one of the things that I'm obsessed with is one, the original philosophy of fire article does not actually explain philosophy of fire that well. The original philosophy of fire article is like, if I have Roix blade wing and pulse of the forge, I'll deal 20 of damage to my opponent with two cards. <laughs> and it's just like, what does that have to do with it? like Hopefully what I'm a better writer than I was 20 years <laughs> classic Michael J this is like seminal article but but three gears ex explains this implicitly which is just that like okay like I can play this goblin guide now and my opponent can trade like card for goblin guide or if I play it later when my opponent can't trade with it then it gets plus two damage and my opponent's removal spell later on down the line right this is just like a fundamental like a fundamental burn thinking thing and uh yeah players who play their spells on curve uh you know are not going to get this like players who always run out goblin guide like whatever or, or i don't know don't bolt the row again like all these things like all of all of it still boils down to like burn is the only deck that gets to say like i'm going to draw one card per turn so you know whatever seven plus x spells cards this game like my opponent has 20 life you know like it just, it just is, it's easy. Like what if they have one counter spell, two counter spell? What if they have Omnath? What if they have, you know, uh, lightning helix, like whatever, like you just, you just get to reduce all of your calculation to being like, okay, like, uh, how much damage? I mean, this applies to pre -modern. How much damage is this mock fanatic going to deal? How much damage is this jackal pop going to deal? Like, um, like, do I need to like it? Like, it makes your life really easy because you're just like, okay, like, can I convert my cards for I don't damage? Think it makes your life easy. I think that it just gives you a different paradigm for playing that is different and an above and beyond what other decks. But it gives you, it gives you, it gives you a different tool set. It gives you it's just like oh yeah, everybody so, has a pencil and a ruler, but you have a pencil, a ruler, and a yeah, no, no, but uh. Like one of the, you probably know this. There's like a, a famous weightlifter or whatever. That's just like, like, you know, no, like it doesn't matter. Like a hundred pounds is a hundred pounds, right? The weight, the weight of the weight is like never changes. It's pure. It's like nothing. Like there's no debate. Right. So what I love about burn puzzles is just that like, you can just say, it's like, okay, well this line deals four damage. It's like this line 
deals five damage and obviously it gets complex like it's like this line deals a potential like seven damage over three turns and only if like whatever but you get to use this you get to use this weight you get to decide on the weight of your plays the equity of your plays can be measured in your opponent's life total and no other deck gets to do that like other decks have to be like oh after i make this sequence of plays i'll have the initiative or i'll be up a card or i'll be up half a card or i'll get an attack in but maybe that attack doesn't matter because I don't have any reach in my deck and like I can get an attack in, but my opponent takes, takes over the game. Um, or I play another creature and they wrath, like whatever, like every other deck has to solve these puzzles in a way that isn't pure. Whereas burn gets to solve the puzzles. Like, okay, well like, why don't you play goblin guide on turn one against spire buff canal? It's like, because that goblin guide will do zero damage and it can do, and they might draw a card. Yeah, that too. <laughs> well, I mean, that's just the insane upside, but yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, that's what I love about that passage in the, in finding the three gears. And that is why, uh, I'm just like tilted off the planet that you're told rebel. the opposite. He just was right in that situation. Right. So I think it was right. Like, I don't know. I've had to go back and I might not even be remembering this. Right. But I just remember watching the VOD and I was just like, my guide would be it. All this deliberation you're doing. I'm so proud of you because I know that you had read finding three gears because you're doing all this deliberation but i'm attacking now right like like all of the things that you make it seem like they have an answer makes me believe they don't have an answer i mean uh i mean for what it's worth that's what i'm saying it's like you can't teach intuition i mean i like and i like i like the attack play because it's a different heuristic it's a it's a heuristic about taking a risk with a huge reward like so, yeah, I feel like in a lot of these matchups, the opponents have better cards than you, right? Like they can make three rhinos for zero mana or whatever, right? Like that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> a thousand damage, right? You know, like, and, and you're like, oh, what did you pay for that? Nothing. Idiot. Who's Pez mana for their cards? Dumb, dumb. You know, like, so, and I also have a two-two. <laughs> so like, oh, I mean, yeah, the paradigm has changed, right? Because they can just solitude. <laughs> like, yeah, so the, so the thing is like, um, but the the advantage that burn has is like once you start getting hit by like you know you get by a monastery swifter the second time you look at your life so it doesn't feel like 17 anymore yeah yeah right it's like how bad can this be and like so you're just like oh i have a lorian revealed you know like i have an orgish bowmaster it's just like they are just champing at the bit to make you take three and then take five. Yeah. I mean, that's why, that's why like shocking, like shocking in a seam vents is just like, I, what the other thing that I love is playing against burn in modern. Um, but uh, same goes for pre-modern because you get to play the burn game from the burn side and like understand how to convert your, like you're doing the opposite thing. So if your opponent runs out the goblin guide or the, uh, jackal pup or whatever uh, the ball lightning right like your opponent runs ball lightning into your open mana and you like ice that ball lightning right like you know you're just never tapping out for the rest of the game as long as you have ice in your hand and your opponent has three three lands right so um i don't know these are like things that I'm, these feel like learnable right it's like the burn is like, I mean, like pretty easy to download because like, you can teach burn can be taught the rock cannot be taught i'm thinking like john had such a good mental game right like john's intuition was insane i'm like trying to like i think that it's wrong to say that, that you can't develop intuition well you can't teach it why because the thing that you need to i do read a whole book about how to become psychic this year 
And I mean, psychic is in quotes here. Right? Yeah, 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 it's yeah, like yeah. a science book, right? right it's right, not right, like right. a, um, it's not like a, we're moving objects with our minds. It's just because, like, you know, I meditate every day. Just be like, visualize the, visualize the outcomes that you want. Right. Like if you're not going to control the universe, somebody else is like, that's, that's the way that it works. So, you know? so intuition is very difficult to explain. And you also can't explain how you learned it. You can't explain where it came from. That's like, I mean, that's the whole definition of intuition, right? Like you look at, like you wrote an article about how John literally couldn't teach you how to be good at magic. Like you, he was going to watch you play. Love me. Yeah. I think like one of the reasons why, if I were going to be a magic coach, I think I would become a good magic coach because you're not that much better than you. No, I'm not that much better than the people who would pay for coaching. Right. (laughs) But I'm like wildly more successful than they are. But, I, but I'm not like at too much of a different tier, right? So if you like, if you've got Nathan Stoyer to try to explain this stuff to you, he's just, he's in a different, <laughs> he's on a different planet, right? Like, it's like not in this solar system. She's like, well, all you would do is win five Pro Tours in a row. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> and Stoyer doesn't get mixed up in what's the play uh, yeah, discourse like, on Twitter. Like, it's like so, only the, only the washed only like, the washed and like the middle tier uh, people you know, getting in the what's the play discourse. This whole stick is just like, okay, well, I'm going to play for this card that's in nobody else's deck. And then I'm going to cast it twice. Okay, like that's not achievable for people who don't have that card. He has a singleton fireball in his black red planeswalker deck that he's going to cast twice, right? That's his game plan for winning the pro chart. By the way, he did it repeatedly. Okay, but how do you teach that to somebody who doesn't have the handshake Rakdos deck? Like as an example, right? He literally drew in the first three rounds of the tournament because he knew that he and his opponent, his teammate, were both just going to make the top eight. Well, (laughs) these are not plays that you could teach somebody who's like, I would like to win a 32 person store tournament so that maybe I can take a stepping stone to the pro tour. Yeah. Like they're, you're just too far out, right? You can teach them things like you gave up points. Like so I looked at your VOD. It was like you gave up a point here, here, and here. The difference between you and Owen Turtenwald is that Owen Turtenwald doesn't miss these points, and he's good enough to win a pro tour. Yeah, <laughs> you just do this enough, you win one extra one extra round per tournament. You imagine you win one extra round per tournament. What your average win rate is at the local level? Okay, now we can start talking about about a bigger level than this. But right now you are missing too many points. You are interpreting that as your opponent's getting lucky. The correct way to interpret this is your opponent should not have had the opportunity to top that game. Uh, did you check out the uh, MTG GPT that that Keeney made? I don't. Is that Oh, he made a he made a chat bot. He yeah, he mod he uh you know whatever programmed a, a no, GPT to do magic. I don't even have time to play pre-modern, which is I know, I know, it's a I, shame. I so I, I asked it I asked it um who are the best uh burn players of all time. Who did it say? Um I'll pull it up. I'll 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 ask it right now. Who are the best burn players of all the time? ChatGPT knows who the best magic writer is. One. <laughs> That's true. So yeah, you, you have used normal ChatGPT to ask magic questions. You're <laughs> yeah. just like, oh, I don't have time for this. I have asked GPT, regular GPT. I showed you all those questions. prompts. You I did. did yeah, 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 I'm yeah, like, yeah, oh, ChatGPT knows, Chat GPT knows Mike Flores. MTG um, GPT has no, uh, is a little off on you. The thing uh, that's annoyed me about ChatGPT is that, like, I'm like, what are the five best magic articles of all time? 
it has a good list and then attributes some of them to Reed Duke. Yeah, yeah. That one I cannot forgive ChatGPT for. Reed Duke and Sam Black didn't write those articles. Yeah, classic anyway. stuff. I mean, the classic uh, Michael J getting. I mean, I do love Reed Duke's article, Who's the Beatdown? That's like one of the best yeah. articles ever written. Uh, number one. Also, apparently, has written some seminal bangers. <laughs> number one, Reed Duke, current player. <laughs> A highly skilled player known for his success across multiple formats, including burn decks. So there you go. I don't know if Reed's ever played a burn deck. Number two, Paulo Vitor Domodorosa. I think he actually won a world championship with the bird. Deck. He won a world championship with, with a, a white. Deck. No, no, no. He. Oh, okay. So he top aided with a bird. He top aided. He lost to John Finkel and nobody cared. That's the thing that was insane because, like, if they had played a push or dark ascension, everyone would have been like, This is the battle for GOAT. John, like, 3 0'd him in the top eight in Milwaukee, and no one even mentioned it. Um, but he had a burn deck. But he was on the other side of a. Um, oh, he geez. won a pro tour with a burn deck. What's, too. The, what's the stupid. No, no, Paulo is a legit. Yeah. Is, so Paulo's Paulo sat down across from a Hazaret, which he astutely pointed out couldn't <laughs> attack. Yeah. Uh, um, Paulo, he also had a burn deck in that tournament, right? So I think Paulo is an okay choice here. Number three, Thomas, quote unquote, Tom Ross, known as the boss. Tom Ross has made a name for himself with his aggressive strategies. Yes, he birds. plays. He's a Naya guy and a poison guy. I don't think he's ever actually cast a lightning bolt. And then he's cast a giant growth of various. Coming things. in at number four, Li Shi Tian. <laughs> Li Shi Chen, he's like a he's like a swarmy red deck guy. You know, he's a fervent champion guy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, MTG GPT up until 2021. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, let's just go. Let's let's pass it to you, uh, Mike. Uh, top five, top three. Let's give you top three. Top three greatest burn, burn pilots of all time, of all time. Uh, so, I mean, are we talking success factors? Or are we talking like strategy? Just all time. You can qualify all your responses. Seth Manfield. Uh, Seth Manfield, John Finkel, uh, uh, Patrick Sullivan, <sighs> Seth Manfield. Oh, Dave Price, number one. Sorry. Dave Price. <laughs> Sorry. Dave Price, John Finkel, Seth Manfield, uh, Patrick Sullivan, and me. <laughs> Let's go. Heard it here first. Um, I mean, I'm just better. Like, I just don't know what to tell you, right? Like, I haven't played it at the Pro Tour level that much. But I'm telling you, it's, it's you know, you know who's better than me. Uh, there was a Pro Tour that I played in that I was in a 19 person scrum for ninth, uh, but it was playing a red deck. But there were like five red decks in that top eight, so all those guys are probably better than I am. I missed an Eidolon trigger on day one, which cost me top eight. True, true. Um, so. Uh, so, uh, you know, Swedish Finkel, I'm sorry, Swedish Kibler is probably number one because uh, he won that pro tour. Um, I wrote an article about how badly people in the top eight were playing their burn decks because uh, a bunch of them just missed on tables and let their opponents win from situations that if you were actually a good burn player, you wouldn't. Um, no offense to the players who actually made top eight. I missed an Eidolon trigger on day one, but substantially better than they are. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, I mean, famously... I beat Sam uh, in the middle of day two in a feature match um, uh, when we were playing the 75 card mirror because Sam had made my burn deck. Um, I mean, I don't know. I think I'm very good. Uh, like, I mean, like just 
no bones. I was thinking about this, like, where would I rank myself? I think active players would rank myself certainly top five. I mean, I think I honestly would be willing to believe you just in the absence of, uh, of proper composition because uh, nobody's playing the deck right now that uh, has any idea what they're doing. The problem is they're so actively bad. Like, the, the, it's just not... No, 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 no. I'm going to stop you right there. No, I, even pro-level players. Up. I, I, this is a call to action. Yeah. Somebody step up hop into my menchies and tell me who the best modern burn pilot on earth is right now. We'll, we'll invite them on the next spy colony. We're a modern podcast now. Cause I'm interested. <laughs> I'm so interested in this because it just blows my mind because it's so let's give some background here. One, as you have heard by now, Michael J has extreme disdain for incompetent burn pilots, which which encompasses all of them, apparently, uh, besmirching the good name of the one true strategy. Um, so I'm like, OK, there's a few people out there who know how to play burn like Sandy Dog MTG is just so oh, dog is good. Solo burn. He's very good. Yeah. Yeah, he's probably better than me. Yeah. So solo yeah, burn. Sandy Dog gets takes five. Okay. <laughs> yeah. out of the top. So so Sandy Dog is nuts. But one thing is Sandy Dog has been mostly focused on not the modern format, to my knowledge. Um, Actually, I just want to pause you on Sandy Dog. One of the things that was annoying to me was I won a PPTQ in seventeen, I think, two thousand seventeen. And I basically laid out what eventually became the modern bird deck, right? When I won this PPTQ, right? So um, all of the modern bird decks that have been played since, which start with Roman, because Roman won, um, Roman won like the regionals with like Inspiring Vantage is just all these yeah. Michael J. Cards, spawned, right? It spawned the Ancestral yeah, Recall podcast. So, um, so, but Roman was just aping me, right? Like he had won a PPTQ after I won the PPTQ. Uh, and then like, Basically, the thing I laugh about is like all these people who are arguing with me off of their Discord or whatever are just playing my burn deck from 2017, right? So, uh, but uh, this like, is why you don't use Discord. You just the got, thing that's you yeah, just the got thing burned. Uh, you have not. So you know, people like talk about like people like sliding into, into your DMs. You have not gotten somebody to slide into your DMs until somebody slides into your DMs and, and, and says, "My brother says that Chain to the Rocks is dope in Modern Burn." That is a very specific slide into a DMs, but we'll put that we'll put that aside for a second. Um, the thing that's annoying to me is Sandy Dog won a Grand Prix the next month, but he still had Wild in the Cattle in his deck, right? And so, like, I just figured out all these things were just bad, and then he won a Grand Prix with it. Yeah, but then, this is, I mean, this is just because, I mean, if you have a problem, it's that you don't play online. Like you, um, you crave all of the like all of the. Um, all of the stuff that comes with, uh, you know, having people see your deck list published online, but you like don't play online and you don't grind. Like you're, you're kind of like languishing in the shadows right now because you like, you want to be in it, but you don't have time. Like I have the same problem, right? Like BK was just like play online tournaments. Come on, man. That's what I'm saying. Like I don't have time for that. No, I mean, you gotta, you, you have to just like go full on cloud farm. Like if you want to, if you want to relive your influencer days, you have to go, and like, you know, play modern, play in RCQs, win some RCQs, I think win like, some RCs, you know. The thing that was an annoying to me about it was like the top decks in modern at the time were like these, like Reed Duke was like really good, right? And like Reed Duke was just all these abrupt decay, Tarmogoyf, this kind of stuff, right? And if you're going to be an idiot playing, you know, fetch land into, fetch land into, you know, shock land into wild in the cattle right 
then two things happen to you. A, your opponent's removal becomes good, right? So stuff like Abrupt Decay suddenly starts getting context. And then B, you're bad against me, right? So we're playing heads up, and you're like, oh, we're playing a quasi-mirror. I'm like, no, you have four Wildly Cattles that are going to cost you five life, and then I'm going to Searing Blaze it. That's what's going to happen. Like that is the ex- entire paradigm of this match. Yeah, but you right? have to carry you have to carry people onto that conclusion. Like one of the right? one yeah. of the big things is that you can talk about Skullcrack being bad all you want, but until you like start putting up all the numbers with Skullcrack free burn, I'm just going to win this Saturday, and then people are going to be like, ah, that was luck. Yeah, yeah, I probably got lucky to you win. Gotta, you got to win Saturday, and then you got to w- keep winning. Keep winning after that. You got to put you got to put modern burn back on the map. But it's the, the same the, thing with pre modern. This is like the funny thing, Mike. But it's like the, you're like you're like sure that people are going to pay attention to what you're doing in pre modern. But the problem is like unless you're playing, unless you're playing all the time, and even if you are playing all the time, when there were two meetups a month, I was posting the decks that I was winning with. <laughs> I know. I miss one meetup, and then the I, I don't count as a pre. Yeah, you're not. You're not on the map. You're not. I miss like, one meetup. Well, it's just like, you know, it's just like so much like uh, one, like just consider uh, Fran, right? Like we, we know that Fran um, plays a lot, works really hard on his decks and then like, you know, goes, goes really hard. Like even he can't get through to people like, you know, I can't get through to people. I, I like, I have like, you know, sense of, the, the problem is like, you gotta, you gotta make a choice. You either have to, um, you know. Yell until you finally get through to people, <laughs> nope, or nobody, just give up. Nobody uh, likes that. Yeah, That's or good. give up, give up the dream. All right. So I had this enormously great weekend back in I don't know if it was May or June, whatever the whatever the weekend of LobsterCon was. And uh, people ask me like, what are the seminal times in your life? Okay, whatever. I have a, had a great career, and I have kids, and you know, I've done a lot of interesting things. But I mean, just recently in my life, I just, I just had a cultivation of adult male friendships that was just unreal for me. Like, it, and it was such a good weekend for me. And part of me is just like. I want to have more of that full stop. Right. And that I don't know if that involves hanging out with particular group of friends or playing pre-modern in the specific, but that was really important to me. Right. And that was like, that's the thing that I want to do with my life. Right. Just, just to have weekends like that as much as I can. Now I have this other thing, which is like, I am super disenchanted with contemporary magic and it's not because I'm not good enough. Right. So like, I'm definitely still good enough. Um, But like from a gameplay standpoint, it is not rewarding to get snowballed on turn two and three because I made the mistake of going second. Right. That is not a very high skill high skill way to win or lose the game. Uh, But I still am like tied to this idea of wanting to be able to compete at like the national international level, which is why I'm going to try to win an RCQ this weekend. And this is like, I'm super torn because part of me is like, I just don't get anything out of. Yeah. You win, you win this tournament and then you get to play in another tournament which you have to play a miserable format where you just like can't play burn and you get owned. Like, yeah, I mean, like, you can win a modern RCQ with burn. And then I don't know, the next RCQ RC is just going to be standard or whatever. No, and it's like, well, I mean, like if it's pioneer, it's just like the thing that is like the best, the best example that you can give is, uh, is COVID vaccination status. So people are just like, okay, all of these factors matter, right? Like 
Did I have sunlight? Am I obese? Did I work out? Right? Like, yes, all of those factors matter. We should strive to do all of these things and not die of COVID. By the way, 100% of people who died of COVID were unvaccinated. Right? Like, this is a binary. All the rest of those things are just narrative around whether or not some unvaccinated person died or not. Right? But if they were vaccinated, they literally just didn't die. Right? So, like, the, so, like, I think it's the same where you just go and you're just like, okay, here's all these things. And some of these things are like, Oh, I get something out of this. I get something out of this. I get something out of this. But at the end of the day, I'm slamming myself against a brick wall, but I'm still torn. Cause I guess maybe I'm old and I want to still feel relevant versus like playing pre-modern. I just want to have fun with no, my it's friends. the fire, man. It's, it's like, like, it's the fire. It's like winning, like winning feels good. It's just like another challenge. And, um, like you're t- it's it's great because the the humans of magic uh, interview with sam sam shares like his fundamental goal in life uh devoid of everything else is to play as much paper magic as possible <laughs> and this is not win as much paper magic as possible just this is not play. like it's just play and he was just like well now i'm in a place in my life where um every night people come over and play commander games and I'm happy. And what people don't know is that when I was pro or like, you know, uh, on the, on the train or whatever, like I didn't have my results like affect, like my results didn't affect me. Like I was just happy to be playing paper magic. And obviously he's going to try his best. He's like a goal oriented, you know, he's the kind of person that's like out there, um, you know, putting, putting the grind on and like working really hard, but he does it in his own way. And he does it in a way that maximizes his enjoyment of the game. And he, you know, obviously like, you know, we're humans. And if somebody like comes up to me and is like, Oh, you, you know, your article is super good. Your deck list is super cool. That's who cool. like, uh, you know, you appreciate that, but that's not the goal, right? The goal is to play the games and to have fun playing them. So I had this really weird situation happen to me last week and it happened to me again yesterday because the Cavs lost and I was super annoyed <laughs> by how they lost, but I, I, I I've had this and this is like a new thing for me. It's completely new. So I go and I play in this pre-modern tournament on Saturday. Right. And I have the best possible result. I was actually like, I mean, winning the tournament is better than top four, but chopping in the top four is basically winning from the perspective I was in. And Fran was even just like with the number of burn play. And I would have had to play against Shane in the top. Yeah, You would four. have to double down against burn. You yeah, have like, to beat burn and then beat burn again so like so like the draw the, the i couldn't believe they agreed to the split is honestly what happened right? everybody so catch up on michael j's latest article on cool stuff inc if you want to hear coverage of this tournament because we didn't cover it at all so. Yeah, so 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 i get there and i get basically the maximum result right so i made new friends i got to hang out with sunny you know kaplan made top eight cam made top eight it was a you know like all the it was a great ultimate result i complained like a child all morning and still ended up with the maximum result as a plot armor right so then i just go do this i come home make myself a steak and then it's just the rest of the day is there and i'm just sad and lonely <laughs> yeah because you're not playing like, pre-modern <laughs> i'm just like why am i not playing <laughs> and that's just like this is so weird like i I'm always busy, right? Like always somebody wants to hang out with me like every single day, every night. Like I could just always do something fun. Right. And I just like literally spent the whole day playing. (laughs) I got the maximum result. I'm just like, 
I could really use some pre-modern right like, now. <laughs> I'm sad and lonely now, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it was really weird, you know? So, and I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah, feel, I, I mean, this. it was the LobsterCon blues, too. I yeah, mean, so. No, it's the same thing with me. I mean, like, I'm, you know, I just, like, I would love to play a 32-person paper pre-modern tournament every night of the week if I could. And I'm sure... 31 other people in this country would right you know what's like super we could weird. start our own we could all move to madison and just make this happen but, but like at sacred torch right i was willing to quit i was just like i'm done yeah <laughs> well you need your almonds you need some yeah chicken so too. then i all i did was eat fried chicken i'm like i could just talk about magic all night and i did yep but like you know then i was with you and lynn and cam came over i was just like having a great time yeah. even though unlike really you good. and cam you know i didn't make top eight but like it it was just really weird to me that like I had played in this. Like, I was just like, what is, what are the goals that I've set out for myself? I did all the goals. I played pre-modern. I played Fran's deck. I made top. <laughs> I chopped. Now I'm sad. Like that's, that was weird. Well, it's like, a, it's a, you know, it's kind of addicting. Like you just kind of, you just like want to be in that moment. Like, you know, you probably look at that tournament like, man, I wish 32 people showed up and I could play. Play well, now I two probably more rounds. Been top four, if uh, if there's <laughs> yeah, yeah, you wouldn't have. There wasn't would. enough plot armor for that. yeah. You can't. I had enough plot armor for sixteen. Yeah, I can't start O two into three two with thirty two people and in O two. You know what? I just we can go back to this because we didn't talk about that tournament or Oath Pollution at all. I don't like Oath Pollution. Yeah. Uh, I love the fact that Oath Pollution exists. I think it is a triumph of deck design. I love the fact that it exists, and I want Fran to do well. Fran made fun of me at the end of his last video, right? Um, and uh, it's not that I don't think Oath Palouche can't win. Like, when he says something like, oh, Mike thinks it's not a good deck, right? Like, it can win. It can obviously win. He just won with it. I, it's just not the deck for me, man, right? Like, yeah. you, just, you can see too many things without any control, right? And... Like, what happens if your opponent just says a guy is blessing into swords to plowshares? The, 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 that's the neat thing. They don't. Like, well, you can't ever win? Like, I, um, the only player who's doing that right now is uh, Dr. Richard Shea. I mean, Lance deck has those cards. Your secret deck has those cards. Yeah, but Lance, Lance not playing. You're not playing Lance deck. And my secret deck is still a secret. It's a secret. Yeah. <laughs> not for long, man. There's going to be... A, you, you know what you could do? You could trick me into playing... Secret deck? Black white deck. Oh yeah, nice. And then I can beat you with my secret deck? So Fran's black white deck, I would not play Death Grasp. I mean that card doesn't seem good to me. Is it good? I don't I mean I think you think that I know. Do you think that I know if Death Grasp is good? Between Death Grasp and Haunting Echoes, is Death Grasp better than Haunting Echoes? Can't you just Haunting Echoes? I don't know. I agree that Haunting Echoes is good, but also gaining life is awesome. Like, so, you know, whatever. How about play a fourth Gerard's? I'd play a fourth Gerard's verdict. There's skeletal scrying in that deck. I don't know. Gerard's verdict is just poo poo. Why is it poo-poo? How many mine rots have ever been played in... It's not a mine rot. It costs two, not three, and you gain life. Sometimes. I mean, the gain life is like a... is like a. Uh, look, Draw's Verdict is not a card that's good against decks that I play, okay? So I can't, like, I can't tell you about Draw's Verdict. It's like Withered Wretch. Draw's Verdict is fantastic against Mono Red. 
I mean, I know that. That but... is the absolute tits. Well, okay. So the caveat here is I don't play a ton of burn in pre-modern. I kind of like Destiny. I like enjoy playing it, but I just like don't play it that often because it loses to cards like Gerard's Verdict, which I'm not interested in losing to. So I mean, so what about my other lock piece? What about Sphere of Law? People don't play Sphere of Law. I think that card is sweet. Um, yeah, the that's the four mana one. Yeah. Yeah, I love that card. I mean, the only card that you can be damaged by is pile driver at that point. Yep. So if you just kill the pile drivers, they're basically loose. Yeah. I, I mean, I love that card. <laughs> like that card's super sick. I was gonna play it and replenish. Yeah, it's like the circle that you pay for once. Yeah. <laughs> like what if you had that and a circle and play at the same time? Do you think you could cover the pile drivers? I mean, I'm down with I'm down with sphere of law, and then you just like death grass to make sure that you're you're out of range. Because maybe it doesn't um, come down on turn four. You might be at like, you know, five and your opponent hits you down to like three and then you got a death grasp for three and then you're good. Yeah, I think I'd play that deck. The thing I would have played that deck at Bearded Dragon, but I just thought that yeah. Adam Sitsis would show up and blow up. All yeah, yeah. Lands. And blow up all your lands. I mean, somebody's going to blow up all your lands. First and, round. Yeah. No matter what, somebody's going to blow up all your lands. Like it's crazy to me. Like this is actually. Ugh, oh, my God. This is three hour podcast. OK, two and a half hours in. We finally got to Oath Belush. I was on record in our discord. I was like, I hate this deck because of how annoying it is to consider playing against because if you're, I mean, I know that you've, you've had it in your hands and you don't like it, but what I don't like is thinking about designing a deck to beat both the Druids wasteland port treetop village and cataclysm. Like it's very hard for me to conceive a deck, uh, conceive of a deck that defeats all those things. What if you just played a blue green oath deck? Well, don't talk about my secret. <laughs> no, I mean I'm just talking about the deck that I played at the when I first started playing pre modern. I mean I don't like blue green oath deck blow out oath pollution. I don't like that deck. I mean I think the deck is like okay. You, know, you don't like it, and could it ever lose to oath pollution? I don't know. Are they going to be infinite spike weaver? It's like not, it's like kind of a mood point because that like, even I don't play it. Anymore. Yeah, exactly. Nobody like you don't play it. And like, I think the deck has, you know, the deck's mana is not that good. And it's like horrifically slow and like, you know, whatever, like it's fun. That deck got Sam black into pre-modern because he posted a deck pick with multiple guys blessings in it. And he was like, well, I'm interested and now he's in. Um, but aside from that, um, you know, uh, I think my guy's blessing deck is super cool. My, my deck does contain guys blessing and source of plowshares and has a plan yeah, so like, for cataclysm. But that's the thing is it took yeah, me, your plan is counter It took <laughs> me, oh, that's one of them. Um, but it took, it took me like the problem was like, okay, this is my problem. Grotog never lost to Terrageddon, but Grotog does not like Oath of Druids, and I'm pissed that my meddling mage has to name another card against uh, Windswept Heath. Yeah, now. man, it's great that the world changes. That's the only thing <laughs> that keeps pre-modern from being boring. Um, so anyways, like... Like, wouldn't you hate it if it was just elves, goblins, landstill, and burn, and those are the four card decks anybody can play? I don't know. Eventually it will be. Eventually... Like eventually there'll be, there'll be probably five decks that you can, that you can care to play. And then the other ones are just for, if you want to have fun. I mean, that's actually kind of how it is right now for being honest with ourselves, but, um, at least Oath Pollution could conceivably want to be one of those decks. That's not very embarrassing. And, and my point is you're right. The deck has one fundamental weakness, which is that it does not have a way to control its draws, but it also has a fundamental strength, which is that 
it has these cards like if every single deck it has a card for that that deck like makes their like, like not not like oh like this lines up well right it's like oh source of plowshares lines up well against a lot of decks like so decks like i don't want to see this card ever like i don't want to get oathed i don't want to get cataclysmed i don't want to get a sphere of resistance and then for me but with replenish i don't want to get wastelanded like i added a bunch more lands to replenish so that's less of a problem but um like you know replenish after sideboarding has to crush oath pollution uh it's it's freaking it's freaking close because uh one thing that oath pollution has going for it is that it can sylvan library for four every single game against replenish so can you uh i mean do you think fran sides in curse totem against replenish yeah that's his, that's his actual core plan. I think no, it's, it's not know. the core plan. His core plan is wasteland port cataclysm. So but like, so people know this plan. They actually understand what I mean when I say that he sides in curse curse totem. Yeah. So uh, for the for the listeners, the replenish uh, deck uh, turns all of the parallax enchantments. Uh, you can go to back episodes for the full details on the combo but anyways these parallax enchantments are creatures with activated abilities so you they can become no- creatures with activated abilities. so you norm so you no longer can do any of the parallax tricks but, if opalescence is but your opponent still has to deal with a bunch of four fours which is it also problem. turns off seal because uh, seal now has an active right right because seal is now a creature with an activated ability. so they can't even seal of uh seal cleansing the curse totem before but yeah. um it also turns uh, your Oath of Druids into a creature, which they can source the plowshares if they want. And if you don't have an Exalted Angel to hold back the 4-4s, four you still have to play a game. Now, granted, Cursed Totem is like an annoying card, but um, Fran's certainly going to have some. Uh, and and he, had, he had him on video, honestly. Like, we can just like look at his VOD. But Replenish, I, I basically had as like, okay, like this is a like 80% matchup. And then I lost to Adam. And then I watched... Fran narrowly lose to replenish once and then defeat replenish handily. And then all of a sudden I was just kind of like, okay, well I guess wasteland port cataclysm is like plan a against replenish. And then you have backstops in the form of uh, ray of revelation, Tormont's crypt and um, curse totem. So like, if you don't get that cataclysm off, like, you know, how many counter spells do you want to board in as replenish? Like, remember your blue mana is getting taxed by wasteland port. So I think I understand why I don't like Oath Pollution. Oath Pollution is just like a thousand half measures, right? It's just like, here's a half measure. Here's a half measure. Here's a half measure. If you add them all together, it's like 1.5 measures. <laughs> and then you, you still need to get <laughs> I like, like, all right, well, between Ray of Revelation. No, 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 no. That's those are those are those are backstops to if you miss on the wasteland port cataclysm plan. No, what I'm saying, yeah, but even like the wasteland port cataclysm is a half measure. It doesn't win the game. Well, cata- cataclysm. Somebody- cataclysm will win the game. Not really. Like if you're Valiani and you're just like, yeah, I'm gonna follow up with like Landmox City of Traders, and I'm just gonna combo you the next turn, which is super doable from like one turn out of a cataclysm if there's no sphere of resistance in play. That. It looked like a measure. Well, those are those are interesting, but those are very important intervening ifs. So one, no, overcoming but you, wasteland but you have like, no way to control if your opponent does that or not. No, no. Like, I mean, all you do is just draw more lands. Well, you're you're right, but I'm just saying like it's still an intervening if because like one like they have to get through they have to get through the first thing like that's a very powerful thing, right? So cataclysm is is still hard for replenish to deal with. Yeah, because but they have to mox has to be involved, and if, then if two. Oath isn't in play, like they're not necessarily going to kill you. Well, I mean, you're right, but you're you're only like you're right from this perspective of just kind of like you're, um, 
you're bothered by the fact that Cataclysm does not deterministically win the game. And in fact, um, uh, Ricky Thorson went on record on Will's podcast to say he's never lost to his resolve Cataclysm. Like we've seen a lot of Cataclysms not not win the game. Yeah, not so, close out the game. So but, here's the thing. But it's so In powerful. some like, decks, it, it could be really, really good. The problem is Oath Pollution is just this green-white creature deck. It blows up a bunch of your opponent's land. It still has to connect five times. Right? Like, that in pre-modern i mean you've Come watched on, him man. but you've just watched him do it you know yeah, i think look i think his opponents are soft i mean i i agree that on average like you know his opponents are are not as good as michael J. but um this is always true um because michael J is such a great player and and there's just not there's just not enough of you in pre-modern which is why we go on twitter and we we ask Anybody we can find to join the format uh, doesn't matter some who. Some of them are really good. Doesn't matter who. Some of them are great. Some of them are fine. Um, some of them are incendiary and uh, make you really angry. We, what but if we had are three still... Pro Tour champions at the next Bifrost at the next Bifrost event, which I think is going to happen? Yeah, I mean uh, uh, that's that would be a dream. Um, so so you know that's true, but um, you know this is like this is the best caliber of competition that that uh, Fran can possibly put his deck through. So no, no, until... what, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that as a criticism of the players. What I'm saying is that it's very difficult for me to take seriously how good the strategies are. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what I'm the saying. Opponents are soft, but that's what I'm saying is like, it's, I agree. Right. Like I agree that, that this deck can be learned. Like, you know, similarly blue white dreadnought was a deck that nobody could figure out how to beat. And then eventually people figured out how to beat. So I think oath pollution is going to be people can beat. Blue White Dreadnought. Kaplan never loses inside of the top eight, by the way. Yeah, but he lost in the round of eight twice in a row. Twice. So in that row, does right? mean that people figured out how to beat him because otherwise he'd be winning the tournament. Yes or no? Right. He he won the last meetup right before I beat mean, Rebel. Yeah, but it's a meetup, you know. Like look at <laughs> I, so look, so one of the things that Blue White Dreadnought has not done basically since its inception, yeah. Oh, it's to take a first it, place. It hasn't taken first place. It didn't take first place in Madison. Didn't take first didn't place take at LobsterCon. Didn't take first place at LobsterCon. It took second. Didn't take first place. I mean, it wasn't even in the Euros top eight. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, Spanish, Czech, everywhere. Always a bright That's mate. why Mono Red is doing so well. <laughs> <laughs> Word. <laughs> Word, mono red. Let's go. <laughs> All right. I'm glad. I'm glad we could give the listeners um, a drop of pre a drop of pre modern in this modern podcast uh, at the two hour and forty minute mark. But we have got to wrap it up. It's been Why so nice catching this up in two episodes. No, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna bomb it on people. It's fine. Fuck it, we ball. Yeah, fuck it, we ball. Um, you know, let's you know, let's try. You know, Saturday afternoons. Let's try to get those records on. Um, and then, yeah, we'll see each other. Man, it's been a while since we've actually seen each other in person, but we'll figure that out soon. Um, Detail you know. says that he's back from all of his whiskey adventures, and then we're going to... Yeah, it's time. It's time. Because, like, Tom Martell's in town. He's like, yo, when can I get a pre-modern meetup, and can you provide a deck? And the answer is, as soon yes. as we have a pre-modern meetup, and, and yes. Yeah, yeah. You could, could you imagine if we had Tom Martell's V and Osip at the, at the next Bifrost? Three Pro Tour champions? Let's go. Yeah, that'd be, it'd be sick AF. Um, 
Uh, thanks, thanks to everyone for for staying with us this long and through uh, this many detours through the modern format. Um, Wait, so you want to fix my sideboard? I was gonna play two core firewalkers <laughs> and four sanctify uh, sanctifier on vex, but based on this conversation, I think I'm gonna cut all the sanctifier on vex because I hate them. Okay, and play love spike colony. We'll talk about this off air. <laughs> And the core firewalkers gas. All right. All right. Love Mike. Love Mike. Game over.